Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Oh, sure, and if it isn't St. Patrick's Day, a great American holiday. Now, you'd think it might be an Irish holiday. Well, it is. They actually do celebrate St. Patrick, but not here. Here, we get drunk. We drink green beer. We, put, we make our, our rivers green, which I'm sure makes the, the leftists green with, with disgust. But anyway, that's how we do it. So anyway, if you've got some Irish in you, feel free to call 215-383-3832. If you're off the boat from Ireland, that's grand. And if you're not, then it's okay, too, because we're all Irish today, just like we are Spanish on Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Get my accent mixed up here. <laughs> but surely we can uh, maybe could, uh, can carry Irish just a little bit further. Because, you know, if you're not drunk on green bitter by now, then maybe you will be a later. But first, listen to Action Radio while you're sober. It'd be a much better experience, I believe. Anyway, so if you have a genuine Irish accent, please call. This, this is a great holiday. Um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, because Ireland cel- celebrates it completely differently. Um, but the real meaning, and I was just reading about this a little bit before the show, the real meaning of, of uh, St. Patrick's Day uh, is basically this white guy, <laughs> you know, the left is already going to object to, uh, European, uh, actually a British uh, citizen. He, uh, St. Patrick was, was, was English, goes over to Ireland, brings Christianity, <laughs> you know, to Ireland. Uh, so instead of being pagan Celts, or Celts, depending on uh, your version of Braveheart, uh, whichever one you watch. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're Celts or Celts. But anyway, the Irish, the, the original Irish, way back when. Uh, I guess the, the probably the descendants of the Vikings. Uh, I think as they came across and they became uh, the uh, the Celts or Celts. Although it's the Boston Celtics, not Boston Celtics, unless that's changed in the last few years. Anyway, the point being that uh, this is a celebration of of a Christian white guy who brings Christianity to an entire nation. Okay, so uh, don't tell the left because <laughs> they're they're only going to want to boycott or ban it or things like that. They just think it's a bunch of uh, you know green beer, wearing green, all kinds of things like that. Now Ireland is immensely green. Uh, why? I never thought about this till now, but why would Ireland be green? Well, I'm thinking, well, it's uh, the first uh, contact of the Gulf Stream. And so if you know weather patterns, you know, not, not climate change and global warming and all that nonsense, but actual, you know, real weather patterns, uh, there's weather that develops here in the Gulf of Mexico. And so I'm here in uh, Milton, Florida, uh, the Gulf Coast near Pensacola. And the Gulf's like about, I don't know, 20, how many, how many miles south of us here? It's about half hour drive, depending on traffic. So it's probably about uh, 10 or 15 miles, whatever it is. It's not that far. Uh, and so the world's greatest beaches right here on the Gulf Coast. Uh, no surf. This is not the place you go to surf because the Gulf of Mexico is basically a bathtub. Okay. It's, uh, it, or it can get rough during a hurricane. I'm not, I'm not saying it never gets rough. But for the most part, it's a bathtub. <laughs> you don't come here for the surfing. Uh, very calm, very cool. Uh, actually, no, very warm. Warm, shallow water until you get, you know, way deep. It's a, it's a big continental shelf. Anyway, so the point being, uh, all that warm air, the same air that creates hurricanes, uh, that warm, moist air, uh, goes up the East Coast. And it goes up the East Coast. That's why, that's why Boston, for example, is so much warmer than Amherst, Massachusetts, where the University of Massachusetts is where I went. Like by 20 degrees or more, I mean, it's a lot warmer in the wintertime in Boston. Uh, and same thing with New York and same thing with all the coastal cities because of the Gulf Stream. So the air, you know, the warm air, you know, goes by Florida, gets a warm, moist air. So there's lots of uh, stuff there anyway. So it, it goes up the, the East Coast and it, then it kind of arc, arcs over the, uh, the Atlantic and ends up in Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, you know, the, the British uh, Commonwealth there. 
uh, of the UK, the United Kingdom, which has been anything but over the centuries. But uh, a lot of rain dumps on Ireland, you know, that comes from the Gulf of Mexico. And so that's why it's green. You know, one of the greenest places on Earth is Niagara Falls, near the falls, because it's a constant mist. It's 24-7, except in the wintertime when everything freezes. But uh, for the most part, you got this wonderful mist. Uh, It's like if you ever go to uh, the base of Yosemite. uh, Oh, there's a train going by. Yeah, and here I am doing the show. I want to get a video of a train, for those of you that have seen my train video um, on on Facebook, on on my Facebook page, and on our, I think it's on our special investigations page, too. I know it's on our video page. We have an action radio uh, video page for for actual homemade videos, you know, videos that you do, not not commercial, not big YouTube stuff. Anyway, but I want to capture a train because uh, although I took a picture of the tracks, in a previous video, I want to go get a, an actual train going by. I want to see how much the, the track bounces and flexes. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I just call me crazy, but, you know, these are, these are the things that fascinate me. And so we'll get on to that. Anyway, so back to St. Patrick's Day. Um, so it, what was it talking about St. Patrick's Whatever I was talking about. Who knows? I, I digress constantly. ADHD brain. Um, and so, but again, this is a, this is a great holiday. Um, celebrating, uh, celebrating, you know, an, an English guy that brought Christianity and, and uh, you know, actually civilized, I guess, Ireland from the Celts, which were pagans. We can't have that. You know, of course, the left being pagans. Uh, if you want to see a good example of leftist paganism, um, go, go stand on, uh, on um, Twin Peaks or Mount Davidson in San Francisco. And actually, Mount Davidson's interesting. It has a cross. You know, that's the one you saw in that Clint Eastwood film, the first, the Dirty Harry films, where his face is up against this big concrete wall that you look up and it's a cross. Yeah, that's Mount Davidson. So there is a cross in San Francisco. They, they have outdoor services uh, there, sunrise services every Easter Sunday, which is kind of cool. Uh, the rest of the year, it's just really interesting place to be. Anyway, but the pagans will be there on the, uh, the equinoxes and the solstices. So what's the next? Let me see. We just were March... Oh, January, March. So, yeah, March, uh, March 21st, uh, first day of spring. Yeah, they'll be there. <laughs> you know, um, March 15th, you know, a couple of days ago was the the, uh, uh, the third anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I've got some uh, articles I want to cover, too, here on uh, uh, some of the early COVID things, because in the beginning, you know, the, the truth was out. The truth got suppressed. I think you'll be surprised. I've, I have an entire folder of early COVID articles, in the, which is why I had you know, pretty much the same opinion reinforced by a lot of other people who had the same opinion. It really kind of worked out nicely. Anyway, uh, so that's what's going on. We've got uh, today is completely different than yesterday. Yesterday, I had my a regular reporter couldn't make it. And my guests couldn't. Make it. So I had no guests. I had no reporters. Well, that's that's too long to talk to yourself for three hours. So thank God call, Calman called it. And so Calman and I had a nice chat. He's a sort of a, a national security foreign affairs aficionado. So we had a good chat uh, yesterday. But I stopped the show early because I can't talk for three hours. And that's probably a good thing. <laughs> By good, I, you know, like Mars Limbaugh could talk for three hours. But he had breaks. He had commercials. He had, you know, and I don't do that unless, uh, you know, I have my regular, I, like, I take like one or two breaks per show. But I don't have the, the constant segments and commercials. And Rush, basically, once he, once he got the hang of it, he, he basically did one hour because I guess they figured strategically most people only listen to one hour and then he'd repeat that hour twice. <laughs> okay. See, I can't do that either. I have to have new, new stimulus for my overactive ADHD brain. So let me get an article here. I've got a couple of things here that I think are of interest. Um, let's get to the first one here. Well, back to St. Patrick's Day. So I have a source. And the source I was using, uh, it, was, it was history. I think it was history. Uh, no, we got history.com here. Oh, I had National Geographic. And part of National Geographic was they wanted money. They wanted money for me to be able to maintain on their site, at least the history, uh, history.com. They don't care so much about that. 
So I got a picture of a couple of Irishmen on the on the cover of this article. They're drinking away. <clears throat> and I guess the Irish have a tendency to drink too much. That's why they used to have the expression, the paddy wagon. So the paddy wagon was, was amazingly insulting to the Irish because Irish called the paddies. You know, so the paddy wagon was the police wagon to, to lock up all the drunken Irish. And so it's a very derogatory thing. So don't, don't go about using phrases like, uh, like paddy wagon unless you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so we have one of our, our county supervisors uh, was in trouble because he used the expression Jew down something. In other words, make it cheaper, you know, which is derogatory of Jews. Uh, I said, wait a minute, about gypped. <laughs> you, you know, if you gyp somebody, that, that's derogatory to gypsies. Uh, the paddy wagon's derogatory to the Irish. These are all expressions people use, right? And there was another one I had, too. Oh, if you're Welsh on a bed, which is, uh, which is uh, derogatory towards the Welsh. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's fascinating. Everybody has their, has their thing that, uh, uh, but of course, you know, most of those are against white people, so it's okay. Uh, it's the ones that are against, you know, people other than white, you know, in other words, people of color, as opposed to people of non-color, being white people, um, that uh, even though white is in fact a color. Uh, if I, I can't wait to get on a liberal show. In fact, I'm praying someday uh, that I get to go to like diversity training, you know, because I can't wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll, show you, I'll show you what diversity looks like, <laughs> diversity of opinion. All right, so let's get to the article here. And uh, this is from history. It's called History Stories. It's how St. Patrick's Day took a new life, took a new life in America. Yeah, because it bears no resemblance to the actual uh, holiday in, in Ireland. Uh, this one's pretty recent, actually, updated February 22nd, uh, 2023, so just last month. It says, every March 17th, the United States becomes an emerald country for a day. Americans wear green, clo- green clothes, blah, 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 green, that's with an R, Greg, green clothes, and try saying green clothes. That's like toy boat. That's green clothes and drink green beer. <laughs> green milkshakes, oh, God, that sounds awful. Green bagels, uh, grits appear on the menus, and in a leprechaun-worthy sh- uh, shenanigan, Chicago even dyes its river green. Do they still do that? I mean, do the environmentalists, of course, the environmentalists will want it red you know, for the, the, the blood of millions that have been killed due to communism. Okay, sorry, I had to throw it in. It just, it just that's what popped into my head. All right, back to the happy stuff. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Article says, revelers from coast to coast celebrate all things Irish by hosting pints of Guinness uh, and cheering bagpipers. Is that the plural? Okay, I guess it is bagpipers. Uh, step dancers and marching bands parading through the city streets. These familiar annual traditions weren't imported from Ireland. However, they were made in America. See, someone explained to me once that America is the land of taking everybody else's peasant food and, and making it a celebration. <laughs> Tacos, <laughs> spaghetti, you know, all, you know, chow mein, <laughs> whatever the rest of the world you know considers like the, the cheap stuff, we take it and make it you know uh, golden. <laughs> It's really pretty funny. So St. Patrick's Day goes back a long way. Article says, in contrast to the merrymaking in the United States, March 17 has been more holy uh, than holiday, holy day than holiday in Ireland. Since, are you ready for this? 1631, St. Patrick's Day has been a religious feast uh, to commemorate the anniversary of the 5th century death. That would be in the 400s. (laughs) Okay, fifth century, 400 AD, right? Of the missionary credited with spreading Christianity to Ireland. In other words, a really a long dead white guy, really long dead white guy. Uh, but that's okay because, you know, white guys do really cool stuff like start action radio. For example, I, did you know action radio was started by a white guy? I just thought I'd throw that in. 
It says, for several centuries, March 17th was a day of solemnity in Ireland, with Catholics attending church in the morning and partaking of modest feasts in the afternoon. <laughs> Isn't that the pattern? <laughs> church in the morning, fun stuff in the afternoon. Uh, that's how it goes. I mean, why do people go to church? It's the reception. Anyway, now just, I, I digress again. Uh, I just had a pop-up bad for some medical marijuana fungus weird thing that popped up on my screen. Okay, where was I? Uh, there were, okay, so here we go. Modest feasts in the afternoon. There were no parades and certainly no emerald-tinted food products, particularly since blue, not green, was the traditional color associated with Ireland's patron saint prior to the 1798 Irish Rebellion. So that's interesting. So blue. Well, if you look at the Irish flag, uh, actually, the, the British flag, the Union Jack, is a combination of St. George, which is red and white, St. Patrick, which is blue and white, uh, and I've forgotten the third saint. There's three of them, St. George, St. Patrick, and St. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Anyway, so it's Ireland, Scotland. So St. George was the patron saint of England. That's the Red Cross. St. Patrick was the patron saint of Ireland. That's the, the red. That's the blue and white X. And there's a third one, St. Patrick, St. George, and St. Somebody. So I'll look it up when I take a break here. Anyway, but that's what makes up the Union Jack. So the Irish flag, which is different now. Now it's green, uh, white, and orange. Uh, it is completely different. Orange for the north, green for the south, white, I guess, is the boundary <laughs> between them. I don't know. Someone can explain the, the Irish flag to me. Anyway, back to my article. Uh, for several centuries, March 17th was the day of, okay, no parades, no emeralds in the food, blue, not green. Okay, here we go. Was the traditional color associated with Ireland's patron saint prior to the 1798 Irish Rebellion? And I'm not sure what that was about. That's for another article. Oh, here we go. Boston has, the, has long state claim to the first St. Patrick's Day celebration in the American colonies. On March 17th, 1737, this is, when were we a state, when were we become a, a, we declared our independence, 1775, and this is 1737, so this is like, what, 38 years? My math sucks, but I, I think I'm right this time. 38 years previous to, we had, we had St. Patrick's Day before we had the Declaration of Independence. I just find that interesting. Anyway, 17, March 17th, 1737, more than two dozen Presbyterians, in other words, white Christians, <laughs> well, maybe they weren't white at all, I don't know, Presbyterians, let's just say that, who emigrated from the north of Ireland, yeah, they're probably white people, gathered to honor St. Patrick and formed the Charitable Irish Society to assist distressed Irishmen in the city. The oldest Irish organization in North America still holds an annual dinner every St. Patrick's Day since, are you ready, 1737. Wow, that's a tradition. It's almost as old as Harvard, which goes back to 16. So historian Michael Francis, oh, I'm sure Michael Francis is Irish too. However, unearthed evidence that St. Augustine, Florida may have hosted America's first St. Patrick's Day celebration. Historian, let me read that in English. <laughs> Sorry, Ireland. Historian Michael Francis, however, unearthed evidence that St. Augustine, which is America's first city, right? Uh, St. Augustine, Florida may have hosted America's first St. Patrick's Day celebration. What, what, what do they have, like stone crab and uh, and, and ketchup? <laughs> Sorry. Just... Yes, the part of Irish celebration, stone, stone crab and cabbage. That'd be a Guinness. <laughs> and Pompano. <laughs> and key lime pie. That, that, would be a, that, would be Irish, that would be a Florida Irish St. Patrick's Day. Anyway, so <laughs> I wonder if a restaurant would offer that. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, this is while researching Spanish gunpowder expenditure logs. Who knows? I didn't know they kept gunpowder expenditure logs. Francis found records that indicate cannon blasts or gunfire were used to honor the saint in 1600. And that residents of the Spanish garrison town processed, in other words, paraded, through the streets in honor of St. Patrick the following year, perhaps at the behest of an Irish priest living there. Wasn't St. Patrick the one that got the snakes out? Not the snakes were ever there. I mean, I don't know for sure. Uh, Ireland being an island. That's probably what it means. You know, I, probably Ireland, probably in Gaelic, means island something. That would be my guess. 
We know what ire means, <laughs> anger, but that's another story. It says, uh, ironically, it was a band of redcoats who started the storied green tradition of America's largest and longest St. Patrick's Day parade. Well, after all, St. Patrick was British, so, you know, why not, right? In 1762, again before the Declaration of Independence, uh, when Irish-born soldiers serving in the British Army marched through lower Manhattan to a St. Patrick's Day breakfast at a local tavern. Of course they went to a tavern. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, the March 17th parades by the Irish through the streets of New York City raised the ire raised the Irish, the Irish, so there you go, that's how they use the word, right, uh, of nativist anti-Catholic mobs who started their own tradition of patty-making. So there's patty again, P-A-D-D-Y, right? Patty-making on the eve of St. Patrick's Day by erecting effigies of Irishmen wearing rags and necklaces of potatoes with whiskey bottles in their hands until the practice was banned in 1803. Racist. <laughs> Not that Irish is a race, but anyway, I'm just teasing. Uh, but that was, that's pretty serious. So what's wrong with the Irish? You you nasty people. So there's Irish bigotry. So, so, so the prejudice against the Irish. In fact, New York was prejudiced against the Irish uh, for a long time. The Sullivan laws, the, the, the gun control laws were placed on the Irish. Can't have Irish carrying guns, just like in the South. Can't have blacks carrying guns. You know, we've got we to ban those, those, those rebels, those, those uh, you know, subhuman beings, <laughs> as, as they would have thought in New York and the South. Uh, it's kind of interesting. The first thing that they do with a population they don't like is take away the guns. Hmm, what a surprise which is why the, the left wants to take away the guns from everybody except the left. 287,000 armed bureaucrats in Washington. Think about it. Article says, after Irish Catholics flooded into the country in the decade following the failure of Ireland's potato crop in 1845, they clung to their Irish identities and took to the streets in St. Patrick's Day parades to show strength in numbers as a political retort to nativist know-nothings. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Uh, many who were forced to leave. It's interesting, the Irish, uh, one of the ways that they uh, gained status in society was to become cops, which is something that no one wanted to do. I mean, the, the Irish cop, the, the stereotype of the Irish cop was there were a lot of Irish who became cops because they couldn't j- get jobs other places, and a lot of people didn't want to be cops. So the Irish said, huh, <laughs> putting two together because they're not stupid, right, became police officers. And so, so the, the stereotype of the Irish cop, a lot of Irish families uh, were, were supported, built, created uh, on, uh, on careers in law enforcement. And that's a good thing. Anyway, uh, this is many who were forced to leave Ireland during the Great Hunger brought a lot of memories, but they didn't, ha- they didn't uh, have their country. So it was a celebration of being Irish. And that's from Mike McCormick, who sounds Irish, national historian for the ancient order of Hibernians. I guess that's an ancient Irish order, right? I, I'm, I'm not, I've, I know the term. I've just never really researched it. It says, but there was also a bit of defiance because of the bigotry by the know-nothings against them. It's like what the Hawaiians call the white folks that visit, howlies. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. So, so the, the Irish equivalent of howly <laughs> was know-nothing. Anyway, it says, McCormick's attitudes toward the Irish began to soften after tens of, thousands of the, tens of thousands of them served in the Civil War. That's interesting. They went out as second-class citizens but came back as heroes. Okay, so where's the Irish film? Where's the Irish version of glory? Remember Matthew Broderick, uh, Denzel Washington, uh, Morgan Freeman, um, and some other folks made this incredible story of, of the black unit from uh, uh, Massachusetts or Maine. That it was an all-black unit, except white officers, because this was still, you know, the 1800s, um, that uh, they, made a war, they made a film about that. So where's the Irish equivalent? Where's the Irish Civil War film? You haven't seen one. Again, white people. Men you know, can't, can't celebrate white men uh, in America anymore. But somebody, if any, if any conservative filmmaker uh, wants to, um, you know, wants to, to uh, make a name and, and do a, a just thing for history, this would be a great thing to do. 
let's get to, let's get a film. Uh, the, you know, let's get like a like a Braveheart equivalent or uh, or a Glory equivalent or any of those films. Uh, you know, although the people died in combat, the the the, the status or the Tuskegee Airmen. You know, what's that? Red Tails. Okay, so what are we going to call the Irish uh, Civil War? We need a great title. Okay, so who, who's feeling creative right now? Who can come up with a really great title for an Irish Civil War unit? Uh, the Paddy Wagoners? No, that wouldn't work. We got to we got to think of something. I mean, let me go to the chat. Nobody, nobody's on chat. <laughs> nobody's calling in. Um, so this would be interesting. What would you call uh, an Irish unit in the Civil War? The Hibernian. I don't know something. I, mean, I, I got to figure out what Hibernians is anyway. But yeah, I'll, I'll think of something. The, the show is still just getting going here. Anyway, he says McCormick says attitudes towards the Irish began to soften after tens of thousands. Okay, I read that. Served in the Civil War. He says they went out as second-class citizens but came back as heroes. As the Irish slowly assimilated into American culture, those without Celtic or Celtic blood began to join in St. Patrick's Day celebrations. Uh, So in other words, the real Irish (laughs) didn't do it as much as the fake Irish. You know, people say, I'm Irish. Really? You know, uh, who who came from Ireland? Oh, my great-great-grandfather. No, you're American. (laughs) In fact, your great-great-grandfather was proud to be an American, too. That's why they came here. All right. It says the meal that became a St. Patrick's Day staple across the country, corned beef and cabbage, was also an American innovation. This is interesting, right? While ham and cabbage was eaten in Ireland, corned beef proved a cheaper substitute for impoverished immigrants. McCormick says corned beef became a staple of Irish Americans. It's kind of like spam in Hawaii. <laughs> don't like spam. Don't you like spam? Spam, 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 spam. I don't want any spam. For those of you that know Monty Python, I'm, I'm channeling uh, 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 John Cleese. <laughs> there we spam, 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 spam. So we should do a Hawaii uh, thing on spam. Anyway, McCormick says corned beef became a staple uh, of Amer- Irish Americans living in the slums of lower Manhattan. Yes, the Irish had slums until they got jobs. And people didn't want jobs uh, to hire the Irish. They were discriminated against. You know, and I'm sure the restaurants didn't serve Irish either. Uh, and the paddy wagon went out to arrest the drunken Irish because they couldn't go anywhere else but Irish taverns. Okay. So what happened? They joined the police. <laughs> I wonder if that's in the story. We'll find out as we go. Anyway, so the slums of Laura Manhattan, who purchased leftover provisions from ships returning from the tea trade in China. So Irish ate the leftovers after stuff had been on, at sea for God knows how long. Well, corned beef, it's like pickling. If you, if you have corn, corned beef is like pickling. It's like pickled meat. And so pickling is a way to preserve without refrigeration. That's the whole purpose of it. Uh, that's where the Amish are big on pickling. So uh, if you ever get, to, uh, you know, I love pickle stuff. I love pickles. <laughs> and apparently it's really good for your digestion too. So vegetables and meat, uh, meat that's been corned and vegetables that are pickled, are actually, I'm, I'm sure they're quite good for you. Unless there's other stuff, hormones, you know, fertilizer, pesticides, things like that. That's another story. So anyway, so the Irish are eating, uh, so, so the Irish are eating um, uh, stuff, uh, leftover provisions from ships returning from the tea trade in China. Okay, this is before the Panama Canal. Okay, <laughs> so those ships coming from China had to go around South America. They had to go around Cape Horn, unless they went the other way, <laughs> around Africa, the Cape of Good Hope. Either way, they had to go halfway around the world. You know, the Irish had to wait for their food to come back on a ship, have it traveling halfway around the world. That would have been six months to a year. <laughs> those ships did not move very fast. That's why we have, that's why we went from, from sail to steam. You know, they, got, they, got, they actually started using those, those nasty uh, fossil fuels, which we call organic fuels here. Here's another quote from, uh, from Mr. McCormick, who said, when ships came into South Street Seaport, many women would run down into the port, hoping there was a leftover salted beef they could get uh, from the ship's cook for a penny a pound. It was the cheapest meat they could find. The Irish would boil the beef three times, I'm sure, <laughs> the last time with cabbage to remove some of the brine. Okay, the brine is salt water, right? Uh, also probably to kill all the 
<laughs> all the other things that have been, you know, I won't, I won't talk about that, but, you know, ships, uh, if you ever see the, the movies of the ships, they had a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> pests, shall we say, that uh, would invade the, the food stocks. All right. Yeah. The <laughs> uh, should I spoil it? Uh, the film's been out long enough. There's a great scene in uh, uh, Master and Commander um, where uh, the guy that was in Gladiator, Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe plays, Crow plays the captain of the ship, and he's got uh, one of his younger officers there for the first time. And, I, and you, you know he tells this joke every time. And they have weevils, weevils, bull weevils, right? And so they're weevils that were in their, their bread. And so he, pull, he pulls out two and puts on a plate. And he says to the young officer, choose. Choose, uh, choo- choose a weevil. Said, what do you mean, choose a weevil? I'm, I'm not going to choose a weevil. No, choose. You must choose. And, of course, the other officer says, yes. The, the, it's an order from your, from your commander. Choose a weevil. Which weevil do you choose? <laughs> and the guy says, I'll, I'll pick the bigger one. No, wrong. No, this is the British Navy. You must choose the lesser of two weevils. <sighs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's, it's St. Patrick's Day. It's one of those days. I'm having too much fun. So I always choose the lesser of two weevils. <clears throat> Sorry. While St. While St. Pat, I'm, I'm amusing. Look, if nobody else is amused, I'm amused. Catch it on the podcast. You know, you can laugh with me later. All right. Anyway, it says while St. Patrick's Day evolved in the 20th century into a party day for Americans of all ethnicities. That's right. This is America. Everybody gets to participate. So all you folks can celebrate Cinco de Mayo, St. Patrick's Day, Martin Luther King Day, and uh, uh, Chinese New Year. What else have we got? We, we, this is the great thing about being an American. We have so many holidays we can celebrate from around the world. Anybody celebrate Ramadan? Anybody face Mecca? I'm just curious. I, I guess some people do. How come we don't have a good Muslim holiday to celebrate? You know, the, the problem with Muslims is they have no sense of humor. You know, we've got to have some fun with their holidays. We need a, we need a really good, we need like, a, uh, what would be the, a, a fun Muslim holiday to celebrate? Uh, we need a good Jewish holiday too, by the way. We need a national American Jewish holiday that we can celebrate, have fun, you know, uh, do something with bagels. You know, like, like on Easter, we have hot cross buns. Uh, in fact, one of my jokes that I, I don't know if I actually, I probably didn't do this, but I thought about it because I used to live in Oakland, California, and there was a Muslim bakery nearby. And I thought, I thought it would have been the ultimate in, in humor for me you know, to go to the Muslim bakery and ask for hot crust buns on Easter. Just out of curiosity. Okay. You know, I, <laughs> this is what goes through my mind, right? Because I, I have to amuse myself. It's, a, it's kind of a, a tradition and a trap. So, so we need a good Jewish holiday. And we need a good Muslim holiday that we can poke fun with uh, or have fun with, just like we have fun with St. Patrick's Day. So, so, so Jews and, and uh, Muslims, come on the show or, or tell me a holiday that we can, we can take and make American. We need to Americanize one of uh, a, a Jewish holiday and, and a Muslim holiday just for fun. Okay. Um, we get, like I say, this, you know, do we have a good, I guess a Catholic holiday would be Columbus Day. So that's the day. Uh, and, of course, Thanksgiving's for everybody. Um, but uh, I, I can't think of a good, you know, we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those are kind of solemn. We need, we need a holiday that's more fun. Uh, Easter's pretty solemn too, but uh, Christian holiday, yeah, we get a lot of holidays. But uh, we need to have, uh, we need to sort of work on, uh, on a couple of other holidays here or, or some decent, you know, large nationalities. I think Chinese New Year should be uh, a celebration uh, nationwide too. I mean, we should be able to uh, do some, everybody should eat Chinese food. And, and wear, wear uh, red. Red's a good luck color in Asia, actually. It also symbolizes communism, but that's a later adaptation. If you, see, if you go around San Francisco, you'll see a lot of uh, doors painted red. Uh, those are Asian doors. That's for good luck. All right. So much for my, my, my cultural appropriation seminar for this morning. Uh, oh, here we go. While St. Patrick's Day evolved in the 20th century into a party day for Americans of all ethnicities, that would include me, the celebration in Ireland remained solemn. <laughs> Too bad. The Connaught Telegraph, that's C-O-N-N-A-U-G-H-T, Connaught, 
or Cano. The Cano Telegraph reported of Ireland's commemorations on March 17, 1952. St. Patrick's Day was very much like any other day. <laughs> it's like Cinco de Mayo. That's not a celebration in Mexico. Mexican Independence Day on like September 16th. That's the celebration in Mexico. Cinco de Mayo is kind of like a joke. But, you know, we, we don't care, and it's on Bugs Bunny cartoons, and uh, Speedy Gonzalez celebrated it, so we can too, right? Anyway, St. Patrick's Day was very much like any other day, only duller. <laughs> For decades, Irish laws prohibited pubs from opening on holy days such as March 17th. Oh, that's interesting. Until 1961, what was that Irish joke? Uh, two Irishmen uh, uh, passed by a pub. It could happen. <laughs> Sorry. Until 1961, the only legal place to get a drink in the Irish capital on St. Patrick's Day was the Royal Dublin Dog Show, <laughs> which naturally attracted those with only a passing canine interest. That's probably putting it mildly. Oh, sure, we're going to go to the Dog, dog Show. We'll get, to, we'll get to Guinness or two, and we'll celebrate the puppies. We'll see the wonderful breeds that they have there. Oh, I have a great interest in dogs. I started about 20 minutes ago when I realized they set up Guinness at the Royal Dublin Dog Show. Sorry, I'm having too much fun. Derek's going to have to come in and rescue me because <laughs> this is way too much fun. The party atmosphere, <laughs> like the one on the show right now, the party atmosphere only spread to Ireland after the arrival of television when the Irish could see all the fun <laughs> being had across the ocean. Modern Ireland took a cue from America. And this is McCormick again. The multi-day St. Patrick's Day Festival launched in Dublin in 1996. Boy, you guys took a while to catch on. We had TV since the 50s, right? Didn't you see I Love Lucy in Ireland? You must have. Everybody else did. Anyway, the multi-day, now it's a multi-day St. Patrick's Day festival, right? Launched in Ireland in 1996, now attracts one million people each year. Hey, remember the Irish sweepstakes, the lottery? See, the lottery used to be illegal in the United States because it was called the numbers game, and the mafia ran it, and it was illegal. Well, the, 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 the law enforcement, uh, local, state, and federal officials realized they could not stop the mafia from running the numbers game, so they said if you can't beat them, join them, and they created the lottery. Well, once the lottery was leaving the United States, there was no reason for the Irish sweepstakes, the lottery in Ireland. And so, of course, they lost all a bunch of money, and you don't hear about it anymore because we can gamble here rather than gambling in Ireland where it was legal. I find that interesting. Anyway, it says the Irish are now adopting St. Patrick's Day tradition, traditions from Irish America, such as corned beef and cabbage. McCormick says there are some American traditions, however, that might not catch on in Ireland, such as green Guinness. <laughs> no, I would never. Look, look I, I love Guinness. Guinness is best. Actually, if you've never had a Guinness in Ireland, you're missing a lot. You need to have a Guinness actually in Ireland. It does make a huge difference. Anyway, as McCormick says, St. Patrick's never drank green beer. St. Patrick never drank green beer. There we go. And this is by Christopher Klein, author of four books, including When the Irish Invaded Canada. Oh, I didn't know about that. Anyway, I'm waiting for Derek because I've, I've got a bunch of other articles I can cover. And I was going to try and do more this, this particular half hour. But quite frankly, I don't want to. I'd rather, I'd rather talk to Derek and, and talk about money and finances. He's off next week. He should be here this week unless he's been consuming green beer already. Uh, and that we just don't know about yet. You know, in fact, I'll have to, uh, uh, let me check on, uh, oh, wrong one. Actually, I put my paper clip on the wrong page. No wonder. I'm checking my calendar right here, right now. I could take a break at this particular point. No, it wasn't on the right page. There's the right page. And there he is. <clears throat> see, asking you shall receive. So I was thinking of taking a break, thinking of doing something. I can do something much better. And, of course, that's bring Derek right onto the show here, our financial advisor. So we're looking for a new theme. I've got to make him a new theme. And uh, probably the old theme with just a few changes, but we'll get that figured out. Oh, sure. And I want to wish you a grand St. Patrick's Day. Derek, Derek Park, do you, have, do you have any Irish in you, Lottie? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Actually. Really? Let's hear it. Yeah. What's your story? 60, 68%, man. <laughs> yeah. So did you we, do the genealogy did the, uh, thing? Did you do uh, did. Ancestry did. or which one? 
23 and me is the one we okay. did. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they, they show you a map and show you where, where all your bloodline lies. And uh, mine is um, um, Western and Northwestern England um, and and Ireland are the most shaded countries that show um, – where where my bloodline lies and it says uh it says north uh, northwestern north and western um uk celtic uh so you know pretty much uh pretty much irish <laughs> 68 so that means you go back to the vikings if you got the celtic in you that means you go way back to the vikings from norway across <laughs> greenland yeah right <laughs> as we know accents yep. are a hobby of mine yeah interesting uh, so yeah. have you have you been over there have you had a chance to to visit ireland and uh, uh northern and western england of course wales is there too and wales is one of my favorite places on the planet i love the welsh the welsh yeah. are absolutely outstanding wonderful people um when i toured europe yeah, for three months three months after college yeah actually you've not been there had a chance for uh had a chance for the trip um um you know in the fall um you know but me and my wife chose to go to scotland instead so that's that's where we're gonna well, go you're right there dude it's the same place <laughs> you know it's, it's just a, <laughs> it's a train ride away what what's that yeah it's pretty How long it's you... pretty close but we're gonna be there for a week uh so you gotta go for longer it takes about three weeks you gotta spend a week in ireland yeah, uh, gonna... uh, a week in scotland and northern england and a week in southern england uh, I mean, I yeah, went. I had, be, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Three three days in Edinburgh, and then three days in uh, in the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, see, I wasn't a big fan of Edinburgh for some reason. Maybe it was a bad day. Maybe I just ran into the wrong people. But I did not have a great yeah. time in Edinburgh. Uh, I mean, I was there like oh, a really? day. I actually left early. Normally, I would spend you know three days and two nights in a big city. Uh, the exceptions <laughs> were were Berlin and Paris, where I spent four days and three nights. Because those cities were so outstanding. Of course, London I visited twice. Once when I landed, and then again on the way out. Uh, so London. You know, we were going to go to Berlin. Uh huh. You know, we, uh, we uh, my choices or what, what what our choices what we put together were um, um, uh, Drumaland, Ireland, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Killarney, and then mm-hmm. um, uh, then it was uh, Berlin, and then um, Edinburgh and the Scottish Highlands, and. Um, you know, we watched a bunch of videos on, on all of them and just kind of mm-hmm. decided that, uh, you know, we do, we do Scotland first. Yeah. And I've been all over Europe. So if I can help you with places <clears throat> to go, uh, one of the most underrated places is Belgium. Belgium is incredible. Ghent and Bruges are medieval cities. They're absolutely gorgeous. Berlin. Yeah. Now this, this, this would interest you being a veteran. I was in Berlin before the Berlin wall came down. I was there in 82. Oh, wow. I, I yeah. crossed checkpoint Charlie. You know, and I saw the entire, oh, yeah, so I can tell you about that. Uh, in fact, I was actually at the Fulda Gap, and I've talked about this on the show, too. Uh, I met an Army intelligence officer. I still remember his name. I'm not going to say it just because he was Army intelligence. But uh, this officer was wonderful. He uh, took me up to uh, um, the, the Fulda Gap. I was on the Army base. I was in a secret location, basically, uh, uh, and met his, his wife, and, and, and they were just wonderful people, and they showed me around. And I got to, I was in this base watching uh, soldiers, and, and the cook was there too in his, his white shirt, and uh, he, he's, he's like playing basketball in his cook's hat right there on the, on the full of the gap. <clears throat> these, are, these are things you just right. never hear about. But it was fascinating. But uh, so, he said, well, look, we maintain America here. You know, even, even with the, the Russian tanks, you know, practically in sight, they say, hey, this is American bases, we're going to be Americans here. And I guess that's common to any, any American base anywhere in the world. But uh, it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was, made me feel good and uh, sort of kicked out most of my liberal education uh, in that one day. And, of course, the other day in, in uh, communist East Berlin, uh, it, was, it was quite fascinating. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, interesting. But uh, we'll talk off the air because there are places that are well worth visiting. Berlin, I would love to go back there because, like I say, I was there before the wall. I want to see what it's like now. You know, now it's a completely yeah. different city. Yeah. But um, uh, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, England, southern England is great. This is some just beautiful – northern France is absolutely spectacular. I took my daughter. We went to uh, London, southern England, and then uh, Paris and northern France. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks, a week in each country. Unbelievable. All right. So much for our, our fun stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah. definitely traveling. Uh, travel is education. Travel is life. I love – it's been too long since I've been on a trip, quite honestly. Okay. Yeah. What's going on with the economic yeah, – yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead and, and uh, economic report and some of the <laughs> travel comments as I'm interrupting. I'm on adrenaline this morning. I must have got sleep last night. I'm like <laughs> wired. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I wish I had your energy. <laughs> well, you get there. You just have to get older. <laughs> so you're still young, you know. When, when you get older, like me, you, you'll you'll get your energy back. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. <laughs> well, let me. Uh, see, I'll get on with the report. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park, uh, your ex radio financial advisor. Uh, markets turn higher as large banks are in talks to support U.S. regional bank First Republic. Markets closed higher on. Thursday with reports that a group of large financial institutions, including J.P. Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America, would support regional bank First Republic with about $30 billion in aid. Prior to the news, First Republic stock was down nearly 30% on the day. Notably, First Republic carries the third highest rate of uninsured deposits among U.S. banks behind Silicon Valley SVB Bank and Signature Bank, both which have been shut down. The bank's debt has been also down. Uh, debt has also been downgraded by S&P and Fitch rating agencies, and the headline potential of aid package comes in the news after Swiss National Bank has agreed to support Swiss bank Credit Suisse with 54 billion loan, deeming it a system, systematically important bank. Uh, Credit Suisse shares have also rebounded close to 20% on the news. Meanwhile, U.S. Treasury yields continued to rebound, as well as uh, with the two-year Treasury yield uh, up 0.17% to 4.15, well still below the 5% level we saw earlier this month. In our in our view, markets have been gravitating towards traditional defensive assets, both in bonds and equities, during this period of uncertainty a trend that may persist until a more clear path for economic recovery emerges. <clears throat> Today, page U.S. Two? equities closed high. Oh, yep. <laughs> you got to say page <laughs> with the, two. With the Dow Jones up 372, 372 points, or 1.17%, to 32.247. NASDAQ closed up 283 points, or 2.48%, to 11.717. And the S&P 500 closed up 68 points, or 1.76%, to 39.60. Again, in the bond market, Treasury yields are trading at 3-point. 10-year Treasury is trading at 3.57, higher by 0.08. Uh, in the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 57 cents, or 0.84%, to 68.18. And the spot price of gold was down $7.80, or uh, 0.4 to 19.23.50. This is Derek Park, your Action Radio financial advisor, and we are insured by SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082.
Hmm. I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt you, but it just uh, when we take a break, feel free to say page two or just say, Greg, <laughs> page two, and now the rest of the story. But uh, so, so certain things jump out at me immediately. Uh, for one thing, the price of oil, you said it was up slightly, but it's, it's down, $68 a barrel? That's nothing. Yeah, that's what it's so down to. So what's going on? Is it is it a worldwide recession? Is a, are people just not driving as much? It, it can't be electric cars because they use oil and natural gas, uh, you know, in, in their plant in their electric plants. What do you think's happening? Um, so statistically, every you know every time the the country is in recession or headed towards recession, oil falls. Um, you know, and and it's a it, it's a mix of people are driving less, people are spending less. You know, transportation costs are down. Um, you know, so obviously they, there starts to be a glut. So, you know, in that case, the, the, the cost of it goes down. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty common. Good news for well, people with sense. a gas pump. Yeah. How about the price of, of diesel? It seems to be it was almost $2 a gallon more than regular gas. Now it's like within a dollar. So is that yeah. because the recession has uh, slowed the trucking, the supply line, so they're trying to sell more diesel? What do you think? Um, you know, I don't even understand why the cost of diesel is more than gasoline because it's easier to refine and it's not used as much. Um, well, you know, so it, it is. Um, you know, it's it's um, I, it, it's something I haven't ever understood, and and I haven't gone to research either. Um, huh. You know, the cost of diesel should at least be the cost of gas, if not lower. Um, you know, but, um, um, you know, that could be maybe regulations because diesel engines are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the, you know, I guess the, the carbon emissions or something or worse. Well, they have more particulates sure. is what it's called. In other words, particles. So there's more carbon yeah. uh, in the exhaust. But it doesn't mean it's more dangerous. It's not the, it's not the pollution you see that, that kills you. It's the gases that you can't see. And so the whole purpose of, of catalytic converters and things like that, the pollution, the, the, the cleaning devices, are to take out the sulfur uh, and the nitri- nitrous oxides, the sulfur oxides, and things like that from the uh, fuel. And so you're just releasing basically carbon dioxide and water. That's what they're trying to get to in, in, in exhaust. Um, diesel has more particulates because of the nature of the fuel and the way it burns. And I'm not exactly clear how it works either, but I do remember, you know, researching this in California and that was when they say it's more particulates. So you see those, you see a truck, like, and all it belches black smoke. And you think, oh my God, look at that black smoke out there. It's terrible. No, it's not. It's the stuff you can't see. It's the gases that are dangerous. Those particles, you know, they're, they're mostly carbon. Well, we're carbon-based life, life forms. You know, the world needs carbon. <laughs> you know, carbon's not a bad thing. Um, so uh, yeah. so that, that's the difference, but it's quite interesting. So could it be because diesel be, you know, there aren't that many cars that are diesel. Uh, there's a lot of pickup trucks that are diesel. And there are cars that used to be, mm-hmm. like the Volkswagen had a diesel for a while. But maybe because mostly diesel is used by commercial operators, uh, trucks, trains, ships, things like that. Diesel's like big fuel, <laughs> you know, big fuel engines. It's not so much for, for passenger and, and personal vehicles. Right. Could that, have a diff- could that have a difference in the price? They figure they can charge the companies more. They're just going to pass the costs along to the consumer. Um, no, but I just looked while you're while while we were on the phone, oh, or while we were talking, do. and uh, yeah, I just uh, it, it says diesel demand has grown. Um, transitioning to lower sulfur diesels has impacted fuel production costs, and the federal excise tax on high uh, on highway diesel sits at twenty four cents rather than six cents on the gasoline. Oh, so that's discriminatory. That's stupid. 
Again, I bet you that's commercial yeah. operators because, yeah, yeah. No, they should, what we actually need is a diesel equalization because fuel is fuel. So yeah, it should be, yeah. Is that federal? Because there's, there's state gasoline charges too, taxes. That's the federal charge? Six yeah, cents yeah, versus... that's, that's the federal tax. So, golly, I would, huh. I would imagine in California it's probably, probably ridiculous. Well, that's a lot of California prices. Uh, the two things going on in California. Um, one is, is they do tax more because they tax everything more in California. But the second reason is that they have a California formula for gasoline. You can't just bring any fuel in California. It has to be refined in California to the California fuel standards. And because California is such a big market, you know, the manufacturers, it's, it's more expensive to make California cars and other American cars. So they make all, all cars mm-hmm. to the California standard. But the other problem is there's only three refineries. In California, usually one of them is down for maintenance. If another one goes out, right. you've got a gasoline you got a gasoline charge, and that's when the price spikes. So you know, two out of three ain't bad, <laughs> as Meatloaf used to sing. But one out of three, you got a problem. And if all three are out at the same time, you've got a crisis. And so right. those things all contribute. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, you know, I I I think um, you know, it's it's a little discriminatory, especially um, you know, considering. Um, you know, the, the refinery stuff, but, you know, I mean, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's turned into an environmental thing. Um, you know, I mean, there's, I, I'm wanting to say over in Europe, a lot of the little cars run off of diesel. Yes, they do. Well, it's a German invention. Diesel was German. You know, Mercedes had German diesel, you know, engines way back when, you know, all the German tanks in the the wars ran on diesel. We ran on gasoline, which was stupid because it's much more flammable. Diesel is a much safer fuel. Uh, but I don't right. know how it works. I don't know if it's as efficient for, for smaller cars. I don't know if you need this. Because I remember Volkswagen um, uh, rabbits. There were diesel rabbits. It sounded funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it took a little while to get them going. But once they were going, they were great. Okay. I'm just curious. Price of gold's up too. 1923, it used to be in the 1800s. So that's gone up a bit. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, when you have banks, you know, saying they're going to fail, um, you know, inflation has persisted. It, it drives the cost up. But as you can see, I mean, if 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 the market looks like it's recovering, gold gold loses loses its value. Um, you know, I mean, I'm 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 not saying that will always persist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if there's always economic troubles, gold gold will rise in value. Um, you know, but um, you know, for for um, uh, you know, for for all intents and purposes, gold tends to uh, you know tends to tends to lower when the markets are doing well. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. But I don't think of gold as something you buy for investment, like uh, you would invest in the S and P five hundred. Gold is like a is like a hedge of protection, and because it's really cool to own gold. I bet you there's a, there's a lot of that. I got gold. This is great. You know, if, if the, yeah, the yeah. zombie if the zombie apocalypse comes, you know, you've got a few gold coins, but. Uh, if it's that bad, they're going to steal them from you anyway, so it's not going to make a difference. Um, let's talk about banks. Uh, yeah. Unless you have a comment on gold, do you have a uh, comment on gold? I shouldn't. I shouldn't. No, the the only comment I'd make on gold is is you know a lot of people one when you're when you're buying gold, um, if you're buying bullion, um, you know not the coins or gold and silver. This applies to both. Um, you mm-hmm. know, typically there's a buyer's premium on that, right? When you go to sell it, you don't get that buyer's premium, and then the person you're selling it to also has to make money. So you can lose 10 to 15% in that transaction, and you can overpay you know, anywhere between 5 to 10% because of the, the premium that's on you know, the production of whatever it is that you're buying. You know, mm-hmm. So 
a lot of people, you know, I mean, if you're going to buy, you know, call it $1,000 worth of silver, you know, I mean, you're not going to pay $1,000. You're going to pay, you know, call it 1100 right? When mm-hmm. you go to sell it, you're going to lose another 10%, call it $100, $110, right? So if the price of it never changed, right, which it doesn't, it typically doesn't move around over time that much, right? I mean, I don't want to say, you know, call it 10 to 20% in fluctuations. You know, mm-hmm. let's just say it did go up 20%. Your profit margin for holding it over 20 years is 10%, right? You know, because you're going to lose when you go to sell. You know what I mean? And, and you know, people, they buy it because they're like, well, I mean, the price never goes away, you know, but most people never sell it. They just pass it to somebody, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and trying to convince people of that, listen, do you want to spend your money or are you planning on giving it away? No, I want to spend it. Then why are you holding all this silver and you're 75 years old? Like, it just doesn't make <laughs> exactly. sense. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think but, the best uh, thing, uh, you know, yeah. Well, that makes no sense. It's, it's people, people's, people's decisions. I'm not trying to trying to go against any other decisions, but, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, you, you, when it comes to, to, if you want money to grow, I'm not saying gold is a bad investment and I'm not saying silver, you know, but it, it, it can be a part of your pol- uh, portfolio, not a large part of your portfolio. There's nothing wrong with diversifying into it, um, you know, but, but holding large positions in it is, you know, the whole mantra of putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. I think the biggest reasons to, to own gold and silver is because you do want to keep it. Uh, although I was one of those rare people, I bought a gold coin when it was like 350 bucks <laughs> and mm-hmm. sold it for, you know, 1500 <laughs> when the market went up and, uh, you know, and used that to uh, get a rebuilt engine for my car. So uh, that was a good investment. Right. But I, but I also held it long term. Well, like ask, ask Warren Buffett. Ask Warren Buffett how much gold he buys. <laughs> so. Probably none. Uh, it's about two to three percent of, okay. you know, any of his holdings, but he does not hold it inside Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, um, but how much you know, gold did he so, buy at uh, at thirty five dollars an ounce when the price was fixed? So that was the time to buy it. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> know the answer to that. But I, yeah. I would. I would go. I would go venture or venture to go look because you know. I mean, I think um, you know. I think it. Um, you know, he maybe he would. You know, who wouldn't? Yeah, be interesting to know. Okay, we got about ten minutes left. I actually have guests in the next hour. We've got uh, some folks, uh, local folks. Uh, we've got uh, Nikita Kent and Scott Yingling from Yingling uh, Self-Defense. They have an event coming up tomorrow, so we're going to talk to them. So we're actually limited on time. So let me give you the options. Do you want to talk banks? Or I had a question last week on natural versus government-induced recessions. What, uh, where, where would you like to go for, for the next little bit? You know, the, the banks are a pretty hot topic. I think that might, that might be a little bit more you know, yeah. I guess uh, on we can do the other where time. we're at. I just, uh, but if you had a prep, yeah. I didn't want to have you waste your prep time. Um, but uh, let's, yeah. let's save that no, for no, after no. your, after I mean, your I, vacation. Yeah. Cause that's I can, not going to change. I can talk it. It doesn't matter. You know I mean? I just, no, think that, yeah, that, and I will tell you this over the past, mm-hmm. over the past week, I have gotten four calls. Um, and um, I did a, a seminar yesterday and in the seminar, that was the, that was the top question was huh. what's up with the banks. Okay. Well, let's talk banks. So, yeah. so it's pretty, pretty, pretty the, hot. The, the expression "too big to fail" is one of the dumbest, stupidest, most dangerous things I've ever heard. Because the whole point of a free market failure is what keeps the free market free. If what you're doing mm-hmm. causes your bank to fail, that's actually a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing for everybody, except the people that lose money. I mean, that's a bad thing. But th- that's what they're called investments. They're not called guarantees. You don't gar- you don't buy a guarantee. You buy an investment. You know, I don't think people understand that. And if a bunch of rich 
idiots are, are giving $75 million to Black Lives Matter uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And they're, they're doing their so, – remember socially responsible investing? This was big in the 80s. So there was a precursor to ESG environmental social uh, goals, but it was socially responsible investing and then went broke. <laughs> you know, and this is back in the 80s. So when this comes around again, this is the benefits of age, right? Not to hold that over your head again, but uh, you see things yeah. come around again because everything's in a cycle, right? So this is the second time for me. I've seen all this nonsense. I know how it's going to go. I know mm-hmm. how it's going to end. I lived through 2008. I was also around during the 70s gas lines. I was a teenager. So I know what happens with oil prices. I've seen it. I've seen oil embargoes. So this is, this is nothing new to me. So this is when uh, folks, you know, when uh, us over 60 crowd talks about some of this stuff, you know, we've seen it all before. And the patterns are, are it's, it's the people who've never seen it that don't understand. They're the ones panicking. The, the, the really young the 20-somethings are panicking. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? The banks are failing. Yeah, it's happened before. And, in fact, before our time, it happened during the Depression. So let's go through what you know from an investment from the, 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 the Wall Street perspective of Silicon Valley Bank. Tell me, tell me the story. So this isn't necessarily the Wall Street story. I mean, well, your, it was well, in the contrary. Your point then. Yeah. What's that? Give your view. Give your view then. Let's 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 well, make it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm know. gonna give you I'm gonna give you the company's view, which we we kind of just went over in the talk this morning. So okay. Um, you know the the big banks. Uh, the news is is really good at perpetuating fear. Big banks are failing. You know, you should be concerned. It's going to have an effect on the market. You know, well, mm-hmm. it did have an immediate effect on the market, but. Let's call it a, an, an overreaction, right? Okay. Uh, unless one of your big banks fails, your Wells Fargo, your Regions, your um, Bank of America, you know, you call it anything in the top ten, your top ten of bank, uh, banks. If, if one of those failed, yeah, there needs to be some concern, right? These are the ones that hold all the money. These are the ones that do most of the loans. When you have one that's the 20th and the 16th, you know, um, biggest banks that lend to the most aggressive companies in the in the mm-hmm. United States, crypto mm-hmm. companies, startups, and things like that, um, you really shouldn't be concerned because it's not something that affects large companies and big companies, you know what I mean? So, and that's not something people understand. But the next thing is, is that's what FDIC insurance is for, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. the FDIC has like only been enacted one time since 1933, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, where there was a major financial crisis, i.e. 2008, right? right. That's, that's, when, that's when the FDIC really had to step in and say, okay, we're going to start giving money. Now, the FDIC did say, um, if other banks are not going to buy their debt or help them out, which that's normally what happens, big banks will come in and cut their throat. They'll come in and say, okay, you've got $100 million in loans, and, and we're willing to buy that package. They're all 5% loans. We're going to give you 1%. Two percent, right? You know, I mean, they're going to kick them in the teeth. Isn't that extortion? Um, it, it's not. You know, I mean, do you, do you want to pay your debts and and walk away? You know, and make sure your people are paid, uh, and and you know, at least go out with some dignity, or you know, do you want to have you know debt and bankruptcy? You know, okay. so um, you know, the big banks come in and do that. So Wells Fargo has already stepped up and said, hey, we're going to get in some contracts with SVB, right? You know, so that's right. that's good. The government also came in and said. Hey, listen. Um, we're not going to enact the FDIC, but we will cover all debts. So what the what the government is saying is, we're also going to buy that debt. 
you know, and the politicians were actually all over that. That's Democrats and Republicans because they were like, hey, here's an opportunity for Uncle Sam to make money. We give these people money and we get a 5% return. I don't know what the return is. I'm just making numbers up because I don't know what all okay. the loans are, right? But, no, that's fine. Um, you know, I'm just using it as a, as a hypothetical example. They come in and say, okay, we're going to give you, you know, $250 million and you're going to, you know, it's going to, we're going to collect all your debt that's going to pay us back over, you know, whatever the loans are, you know, at 5%. You know, so, um, you know, the government was all over that, um, huh. you know, so and they're not calling it a bailout because um, the government's getting paid for this transaction immediately, not not, you know, saying, hey, here's money, pay it back over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, as opposed to like now, the Chrysler bailout or like the automakers right. when they were, or New York City when they were bailed out. Those were those took exactly. a long time. Yeah. Okay, so that makes there sense. is some concern. Um, you know, Dave Portnoy was was uh, um, on on you know Twitter basically saying, "Hey, you know, they said the taxpayers aren't going to pay for this, so where is the money coming from?" So, yeah, um, that is a concern because that probably could be taxpayer dollars. But um, the whole reason the FDIC insurance is there, right? It is an is it, it is an insurance company that is separate from the government, but the government does have access to it. And every bank, every company has to pay into this. They have to. They absolutely have to, right? If they want to okay. exist, right? So my company has to do it. Every other investment company has to do it. Every bank has to do it. So this FDIC insurance has hundreds of billions of dollars, right, in insurance money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, I don't want to call it there for the taking, you know what I mean? Like that sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? But it, it, it's there to be it, used I don't know. appropriately. Yes. As far as a better right. way to put it. You know, yeah. It, okay. It's there to be used appropriately is the better term. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, but, uh, you, you know, so, so I, I, I'm not trying to minimize what's going on. You know, obviously, uh, you know, everybody wants to blame policy, you know, there's finger pointing going on, you know, um, you know, during the Trump administration, there was a little bit of deregulation and the way banks work, and everybody wants to point the finger at that. But, um, you know, the it wasn't the Treasury Secretary. It was the finance minister or something like that got on there and said, hey, we're going to hold the bank staff and the CEO accountable, right? You know, that's the person that mismanaged, overstretched the bank's lending, you know, put them into a bad place with these risky companies that weren't able to pay. Um, and, you know, they should be held accountable for that rather than bank policy. Yeah, exactly. It's like the it's like the uh, the crisis in two thousand and eight. The people that uh, took loans they knew that, that couldn't be paid back, and the banks that lent loans they knew that couldn't be paid back. Uh, they should have to pay for that. Right. Uh, you know, I, I see right. FDIC. I see a necessary place for FDIC for people that have nowhere else to put their money for small uh, investors, mom and pop shops, you know, local, you know, individuals to insure up to even $100,000 is fine. $250,000, that seems like a different realm. But at least if you insure accounts up to $100,000, most people don't have that much money. So, so most people, I don't know how much, what the average bank account is. Let's just say it's $10,000. So to insure for $100,000 for banks that are going to fail for those individual people that use the bank as the place to put their money. They're using it all the time. They're paying bills with it. They're paying mortgages. They're doing all the things with their, their bank account. Those people, those are the accounts that should be insured. 
The accounts that should not be insured are the venture capitalists. That's, a, that's, like, oh, that's one step below gambling. You know, sometimes it pays off right. really well, and sometimes you lose everything. But that's the whole point of it's what's called venture and not secure capital investing. If it were secure capital, right, it would be a right. different thing. This is venture capital. But, but venture capital drives the economy because the best and the brightest people who have the best ideas, that would be Action Radio included, any venture capitalist listening, I could use some venture. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but the point is, and I'm serious about that, by the way, actually, because uh, I, I do yeah, see this yeah, as yeah. a viable worldwide business in citizen legislation and uh, media. This is, and this is a brand new creation. So the venture capitalists haven't even discovered us yet, but yet here we are. So that's, that, I believe that's going to come one day once we get to better known nationally. But anyway, but if you, those folks, the, 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 the risk takers, the experimenters, the entrepreneurs, those accounts should not be insured because the whole nature of what they're doing is, is, is risky anyway. So they're risking capital that isn't life-saving, life-essential capital. Otherwise, they wouldn't risk it. Mm-hmm. At least I hope. At least I hope yeah. not. So yeah. I make the distinction between the person that their life savings, all the money they have, you know, is in their bank account and their house and things like that. Those accounts should be insured. But the venture capitalists who are risking capital, who are making money off their money, who are investing—they're not investing in their house, they're not investing their their own personal bank account. They're investing their venture capital. Those accounts should not be insured, or only up to a certain yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and. Uh... And, and I'm not sure, um, you, you know, I'm not sure to the extent of what's going to happen with these banks. Um, you know, I mean, I'm given a lot of general information, um, you know, but the market had an imme- immediate negative reaction. Um, you know, I was actually really concerned because, you know, the volatility index was up like 20% in one day. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, we're about to have a 3 or 4% day in the market. Um, the fear index. You know, negative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the fear index was through the dang roof, um, you know, and then – you know, I mean, the, the, the finance minister comes on TV and, and you know, the, the other banks step in and, like, you know, by the end of the day, the market almost come back to even. I was like, oh, wow, thank God. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a little stressful for me to have to sit there and watch that, you know, with, with some concern with me actually knowing that it's, it's a nothing burger. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, it, 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 this would be absolutely nothing if everybody knew a little bit more about how it works. And, you know, it's it's a knowledge curse. You know what I mean? It's uh, uh, you know, it's it it, it normally goes against uh, you know, what's going on. But anyway, you know, I mean, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad things you know seem to be okay as of right now. Well, what you need to do, I was just thinking, you need to have you know Derek Park's uh, investments and meditation room. So you need to have a place for people who can go and calm <laughs> down. <laughs> so so you have like yeah. the ashram. So that's okay. Before yeah. you talk to me, I want you to go sit in here. You know, just, so breathe breathe the incense. You know, hold the crystals, relax, take it easy, mellow out, chill, and then we'll talk about your investments. <laughs> you, you could be a pioneer. <laughs> Think about that. You have your, yeah, own, right, have your own right. room. You know, have your own meditation room where people can calm down before they talk to you. Wouldn't that be great? Right. I'm a genius. And then when Think you about it. And then when you get upset, you have to stand in the corner. <laughs> exactly. We'll have the timeout room when you throw a temper tantrum for no reason. Because we said, you know, you, you should have like a buy low, sell high contract. So if you want to deal with me, you're going to buy low and you're going to sell high. If you want to violate the contract, you know, the basic contract, then we, we need to talk. <laughs> hey, listen, my guests right, are here. Right. Uh, actually, one of them so far. But uh, this has been a great yeah. chat. This has been fun. So let me know if you set up the ashram. I'll, go, I'll come meditate and then talk money with you. How's that? <laughs>
You still what there? What was that? I'm sorry. The phone cut oh, out was... a little bit. I didn't, I didn't oh, no. hear you. Oh, there no, I was just going to say, uh, so we'll have to, I'll have to come meditate, and then we can talk money sometime. Uh, let's, let's get your, your phone number again and, uh, and all that good stuff, and then let me get to my, my guest, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Great report. This was fun. Yeah, good. Uh, uh, again, this is Derek Park, the Action Radio Financial Advisor. If you uh, need to talk, you can get me at 850-995-0082. There we go. Thank you, sir. We'll talk next week. And now let's bring yep. on so our – actually, one of – Next week, I won't be here. That's so right. I won't be here. I actually so, have it in the calendar. Yep. So, so he's on yep. a fact-finding mission. He, he's on an essential trip for the good of America. Yep, that's right. For national security. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see uh, you in two weeks, Greg. Thanks very much. Have a great time. We'll yep. talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Yep. Take care. All right. So I'm going to find out where he's going later, which <laughs> should be interesting. All right. So we have uh, new folks to the show here. In fact, we only have one right now. So I'm going to start with her, and then hopefully the, the rest of the crew will join. If not, that's okay. As long as I have one person to talk to, I'm happy. So our guest of the day right now is Nikita Kent of we got two things, Yingling Self-Defense and Fit for Fitness, and I want to hear about both of them. So, so Nikita, who's never been on Action Radio, walked into a very enthusiastic chat with our regular uh, financial reporter, uh, Derek Park. But today uh, they have an event coming up tomorrow, uh, and we're going to hear all about that. And I want to hear about self-defense anyway, and of course I have a bunch of questions, uh, because as I am approaching my mid-60s, I'm thinking, what's a good martial art for uh, you know, senior art. So I, I need a senior martial art that's not like Taekwondo where I'm going to, you know, kick, out, kick the ceiling and my leg's never going to come back down again. <laughs> Good morning, Nikita. Morning. How are you? I'm on a great time. I, th- I've been on a roll. First of all, it's St. Paddy's Day. So I've been doing really bad Irish accents. And we had a great time in the first hour. <laughs> I was talking all about the history of Ireland and the history of St. Patrick's Day. Did you know it was an American holiday last? <laughs> I did, actually. I did know okay. that. Okay. Yep, yep. Well, Check out the first half hour when you listen to your podcast. So the first half hour was me being me, uh, and it sent me on this real adrenaline rush. And then we had Derek. We just had a great chat about uh, uh, the banking and, and all the stuff out there. So we tend to put uh, the financial world into perspective. And actually, you know, he's a financial advisor, so we get right to the, the nitty-gritty. Uh, this is an hour I'm usually just wrapping on news. And then we have actually my, uh, my other reporter, who I thought was going to not be available this week, uh, Cowgirl Candace. We're going to talk horses. And, and life and adventure in the next hour. So uh, if you have time you want awesome. to stick around, feel free. If not, then uh, just catch the podcast. Sounds yeah. Great. Okay. Well, tell me your story. Tell me about self-defense. Tell me about Yingling. Let's, we'll start with you first. Uh, how'd you get into it? And uh, let's hear your martial art artistry story. Of course, because everybody who does any kind of martial art has one, right? So, I hope so. Everybody um, has a story. <laughs> you can tell you can tell. You can tell a story, but... Yeah, tell butterfly catching if yeah. you want. I don't care. I, I just want to hear what uh, what makes you interesting because that's what we do here. That that sounds great. So yeah. I have been in Krav Maga for about ten years. So I'm, I'm going okay. on my decade right now. Mm. Um, I actually started because of a domestic violence threat. I was going through some situations with an ex, and they threatened me. Never touch me. That's fine. That's cool. But I had this moment of, like, I'm a whopping 5'4", and they were 6'6", six, six, right? And so oh. it's that looming person, person, yeah, right in front of you, right over top of you. You have to look up, crane your neck to see the person. Scared Uh-oh. the shit out of me, let's be honest. Um, yeah. And then about a year afterwards, I'm like, I got to do something about this because I, I don't feel safe even though we're not together anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, he was the one that had told me about this Krav Maga thing out in Gulf Breeze at the time. Mm, and he just never convenient. went. He was like, this sounds yeah. fun. And I'm like, yeah. he said something about this self-defense 
class. So I went out there and I met Eddie Wells, who is uh, one of our instructors at Yingling Self-Defense and Fitness, and um, didn't want to go through the gym. To be perfectly honest, I had to walk all the way to the back to, like, the aerobic studio to do the class. We had to walk through the whole gym proper. And I'm like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing here. Why am I even here? And, <laughs> you feel out of, why and do you feel I, out of place I, in a gym? I, you know, because I remember, like, maybe 50 yeah. years ago, gyms were like guys, you know, the big buff guys on steroids, you know, with the, the mm-hmm. high squeaky voices because they ruined all the testosterone. But uh, <laughs> yep. that's, a, that's another story. We can talk about that, too. But uh, did you? why would you feel out of place? I don't know when you went, 10 years, 20 years, sometime in the last little while. Uh, oh, you said 10 years. So why would you feel out of place 10 years ago? I'm just curious. Um, I was overweight at the time. Okay. I was overweight. I was very self-conscious. I didn't know anything about gyms other than like what you said, like the, you know, it's a bunch of big buff guys on testosterone, right? Um, See, I would feel uncomfortable because I'm not one of those guys. I'm a nerd. <laughs> Basically, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd advocate. You know, so you look at me, you know, I look like a California hippie nerd, although I'm more conservative than most conservatives. So it's, it's kind of interesting. So looks don't always, you know, betray who you are, which is interesting. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. And, and, and no. the good news is, is like, if you find a good place, regardless of what martial art you do, like I was, mm-hmm. I've got to the door and I'm like, maybe I'm just going to turn right back around, drive all the way to Gulf Breeze. And mm-hmm. um, Eddie <laughs> just happens to walk out the door. And he was like, are you here for self-defense? And I'm like, maybe. And so he introduces me to everyone else, and now I'm stuck there, right? So oh, yeah. um, it, it, was, it was a bit of a um, train wreck to get started, but one mm-hmm. class, and, and I, I'm just a huge fan. And then about nine months later, I went to my first 10-day course for, um, to start an instructorship, and mm-hmm. I've been doing it ever since. So you're a teacher so. now, right? How, how long have you been teaching? Yep. Uh, since 20... Ooh. I was assistant teaching in 2015, so I've been teaching since then. And okay, then I got so my official uh, two-day course, t- two 10-day courses, basically, is, is the requirement, plus teaching hours. Um, I got that a you, couple years ago. You must have done this intensively, because if you start 10 years ago, that would be 2013. And if you're teaching by 2015, you, that's two years of intensive training, if you're already instructing. Yep. Pretty much that's every good. day. So, yeah, see, that's the way to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, I should give you a little caution. I mean, I ask a lot of questions, you know, sometimes personal. If there's anything you don't want to talk about because you're revealing stuff, which is really important, but I just want to say you don't have to tell me. If there's anything that, that I ask that you say, okay. oh, Greg, you know what? I just don't want to talk about that. That's okay. Just want to let you know. That's fair. Um, All right. But, uh, but those things are important because, uh, like, I, I started talking about the fact I've had to lose a ton of weight since uh, open heart surgery. I had, they had to repair a valve, ah. which, which went really well, except I gained 150 pounds, you know, in, in water fluid and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and it's been a struggle. I've got, like, 40 to go. So, and it's been six years. So I'll get there. But the ups and downs yeah. of creating Action Radio uh, and the stress and everything else has made a big difference. Okay, so let's, um, let's wait for the other guys to see if they call in because it's just, just you right now. So I want to hear – let's get your story first, and then we can talk about the event and stuff. Martial arts. Um, you know, it's interesting you talked about a, a, a domestic violence situation. Uh, one of my reporters who openly talks about it, so this isn't a secret, uh, Shirley Watchell is with the D.C. Project. She's the Florida chair, uh, and we call it the D.C. Uh, Project Women and Guns Report. So it's a gun group for women. You might want to look into it. They're awesome. really yeah. interesting bunch. So they're on our, our Action Radio gun group. Uh, and Shirley's, uh, I think she's mid-Florida somewhere, somewhere in the Tampa, Naples, somewhere in that area. Um, but, uh, but just a fascinating person. And she's on our Action Radio gun stuff, so you guys could easily contact each other there. Um, but uh, that's something fascinating because women and guns, you know, that's one of the biggest growing gun groups. So let's talk about women in self-defense. Uh, obviously, okay. bigger, more powerful men are a problem, but – 
you know, the, there's all this, there's things that you can do. It's not always strength that defeats a person. You can take the biggest, strongest person in the world. They still have knees. <laughs> you know, they still have things that. That's uh, absolutely. You know. Until they don't yeah. because you take them out. That's, that's well, my perspective. <laughs> So let's let's talk about women in self defense. And then one of the questions I got a really awkward question for you about men in self defense uh, against women is women are getting more aggressive in crime and things like that. Uh, I, I don't know if that's been a growing trend, but I think guys are naturally reluctant to defend themselves against women, and that's a mistake too. Yeah. Now I will say, um, if we get Scott here on the line. He would probably be your your subject matter expert on that one um, okay. because of the nature of the question. But mm-hmm. I will definitely take the uh, the women in self defense one. Sure. Um, Tell me. So as far as with women in self defense, um, we as women have several challenges to overcome with self defense. I mean, look at me, just getting through the gym in the first place, right? It's mm-hmm. walking in the door is the hardest part to get started. Interesting. Um, the other thing with women is we are, whether it's intentional or not, we're socially conditioned to not mm-hmm. be aggressive, to not be defensive, to smile and nod and ignore and stuff like that. And if you do anything else, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get all these names and, you know, all this kind of stuff is judgment. Yep. Um, so women will come in and everybody has their own reason. Like you said, everybody's got a story. Some of them are more violent than others. Some of them are just, hey, I need something to do that's fitness, but I hate working out at the, at the regular gym. And this will do that for you. You'll lose weight. You'll have a good time. Um, but a lot of the women that come in here, whatever their past history is with people or, or, or significant others or friends or family, they have to go through not only whatever their past is, they also have to come in and overcome all of like society's expectations for you to come in and be, you know, oh, you should be forgiving and you should just understand somebody else and like, you know, apologize all the time. Even these days. This is 2023. Feminism started back in the seventies. You know, I'm I'm 63. So I remember, you know, I've seen all this stuff happen, Uh, you know, and Mm -hmm. I raised a daughter. So, so I understand. I mean, I taught her to shoot, Uh, you know, she went through martial arts. She also, you know, learned, tried to play a violin. That was another story. Uh, Became an excellent photographer. And, and, you know, I never, she never really had a gender role. She could do whatever she could do. Cause that, that's, that's kind of dad I was. So I understand a lot of this. Uh, and I, what I don't understand is, is in 2023, these same attitudes that have been around probably for centuries uh, still kind of rear their ugly head of what women can and can't do and should and shouldn't do. I've never understood them. Um, and so it's like, but I know they exist. So this is, you know, this is why I need to get the stuff out there on the show. Yeah. Well, and, and it's things like a lot of times you'll come in, you don't even realize that you have those preconceived notions because it's just built huh. into society. It's not, it, it's not overt, right? It's, it's very much like this is just kind of how things function. And we've made a ton of progress, which mm-hmm. is fabulous. Um, and, and having more women go in to do self-defense and develop that confidence and be like, it's okay to, to, to be able to do this and hold my own and stuff like that um, is encouraging that forward momentum. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that that gives women the right to be overly aggressive because then now you're tipping the other side of the scale. There's got to be, there's got to be a balance, right? Mm-hmm. For everybody, men, women. It's self-defense, not self-offense. Yeah. But that applies yeah. to everybody. They, yeah. they got to okay. throw the first, the, the first hit. And then from there you're good. So, yeah. But yeah, it, it's been good. We've, we've, I love having men, women, kids, everybody can benefit from it in one way or another. 
Yeah. One of the reasons I mentioned DC Women's Project is that I know a lot of the women uh, across the country involved with that because, uh, you know, you get one friend and another friend, and all of a sudden you've got like 10 women, you know, who are in the DC Project. Um, and a lot of them have a similar story of domestic violence. How prevalent is this? I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to drag this up, but it just uh, it seems important for me that I think most of us, you know, especially guys don't realize, especially as nonviolent guys, as nice guys. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that don't understand domestic violence, that would never do it. It's it, it, it would be incomprehensible to us. The thought of thought of it makes us sick, you know, and it's just so I don't I don't get it. I don't get how it happens. I don't get how guys do this to women, um, but it happens and, and it's happening probably a lot more than we suspect. Would I be it right is. on that? Now, I will say, yeah, it, it's more than most people suspect because if you're not in it, you don't see it. Like, it's, it's okay. just not in your worldview, right? And that's huh. not a bad thing. That's great for you, right? Um, yeah, but... Mine wasn't excessive by any means. It was, it was a verbal threat, and I didn't feel mm-hmm. safe. So, you know, I never was hurt or anything, but it was, that, mm-hmm. it was that pivotal moment for me. And I'm, like, my dad's the same way. I, former military raised me to be, you know, independent and all that. And I mm-hmm. had that moment of, well, maybe I need to know some more. Um, but <laughs> well, at least you knew, you knew you enough know, that you, knew you, you didn't, you, you didn't choose to, get to be out. a victim and never learn it. You actually took positive action. So that in itself is right. Okay. That's the hard thing for a lot of women to do is, is the getting oh. out part, right? And okay. I see an excess, you know, I see more than the average person even. So for me, it's a little bit skewed because people come to self-defense because they've already had an issue or they're, they have an impending issue. Right. So I have gotten stories from just basic things like mind threats, stalking, whatever, all the way up to people that have, have come in because they were hospitalized for two weeks um, from a domestic violence issue. So, but, but I will say that the people that the women that come in, to these self-defense classes after something like that are some of the mm-hmm. strongest, most courageous people you will ever meet because of mm-hmm. what they overcome. And they come in and eventually, after weeks or months, they have a group of people that are there to support them. They've got skills. They feel better about themselves. And they start smiling. And, and it's never going to go away, but it definitely gives them that power back, which is, is the goal for most women in self-defense. Interesting. Looks like Scott's on the line, too, so I'm going to make his line live and bring awesome. him on. Yeah, yeah. It should be there we go. Scott Lee Yingling, welcome to Action Radio. How you doing? Yes, yeah, yes, sir. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Sorry about uh about the delay. I'm here now. <laughs> well, at least you're here now. You know, the, the only time I worry is when people, you know, some, and things do come up all the time. So that's uh that's not an issue. And we've been Facebook friends for I don't know how long, maybe a year, two years. We've never talked. We've never messaged. We've never done anything. It's damn all about time. So we need we need to catch up. So uh, uh oh, Great. Nikita, did you have more to your story or do you want me to get uh, Scott's story at this point? No, I'll tag team and, and let you uh, let you guys talk about the other side of self-defense. Okay, Scott, your turn. So we've heard uh, Nikita, she's been on, she called early, which is good. Uh, did you get a chance to listen to what we've covered so far or, or were you busy doing other stuff? No, 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 no sir, I, I, I did not. Okay, well, let's just start uh, start fresh then. So tell me about uh, what's your story with self-defense? How'd you get into it? And uh, uh, then I'll have uh, all kinds of questions. And then we'll, now that I have both of you here, we can talk about the event in a little bit um, tomorrow. So tell me, why martial arts? So I, I, so I started um, when I was about five or six years old uh, in a wow. style called Aki Shinkai Karate. Um, I got a black belt in that when I was about 13. Uh-huh. Um, started wrestling in high school, wrestled in high school, and was a pretty successful wrestler in high school, and then I wrestled some in college. Um, kind of got my way through college and fighting tough man contests. Um, What's that? 
What's and a tough man contest? Tough man contest. A, a tough man contest was a thing. You know, it's like all the all the local uh, people would go out to like the National Guard Armory. They'd set up a ring, and you know there'd be like a thousand or two thousand dollar prize for whoever wins the round robin uh, boxing match kind of deal, right? So. Uh-huh. You know, I was a 18, 19-year-old college student that was, you know, on every couple weekends would go and, and win a tough man contest and, and pay my way through college. So, Wow. That's like Fight Club, only, only legal. They, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I don't know if they do that anymore. And, again, it was, you know, it was, it was like boxing. It was like amateur boxing. I guess maybe not even amateur uh-huh. they were paying to, to win. Um, but, you know, so I was doing that was like 18, 19. And then I got out um, and went into the military, got out of the military, uh-huh. And then um, started fighting uh, MMA. So I got into Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then uh, fought MMA for several years. So I, uh, you know, uh, got close but didn't completely make it to the big show. Um, ended up going to the French Foreign Legion. So in the French Foreign Legion, got into oh. the Krav Maga. Oh, and, oh that is uh, really and, interesting. Because uh, I've never seen something like that on your website. Wow. Yeah. French? And, and, and I've never got second, second degree black belt in Krav Maga. But yeah, French Foreign Legion. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm curious. Why the French Foreign Legion? Tell me about that. So I was in the Navy in uh, 1999, 2000. I was, in, uh, I was in Buzz. I was in SEAL training. Um, very, very far away from being a SEAL. And actually, me and a bunch of other guys got, well, a bunch of other guys got caught using steroids and, and had, had told on me for, for doing it. And got kicked out of the Navy when I was, when I was uh, 19, 20 years old. Tried to get oh, back wow. in the military for a long, long time. Um, couldn't, couldn't get my... Uh, my uh, uh, re-enlistment code changed, so I couldn't get back in. Then 2008 and 9, um, I, I owned the gym. The gym closed. Um, I lost a couple fights in a row, and uh, and, the, and the real estate market. I was a realtor. Real estate market crashed. Tried to get back in the military one more time. I was only I was 29 at the time, and um, still wanted to fight. Still wanted to do the good fight. Um, bad guys were still out there, and the French were fighting the same people, and they were engaged in the same in the same uh, uh, areas that we were. So French Foreign Legion. That's fascinating. So the French Foreign is is the the Foreign Legion. Is, is there are there any French? I guess it's French officers and uh, people from around the world who serve there. Yeah, it's it's mainly French officers. Um, the, typically, so like so when you go in, like I my my name is Brian Yates for two years, so they they change your name. If there is a French guy that joins, they typically make him um, Canadian. Um, so they'll change his <laughs> nationality with his name. Okay. Yep. Uh, um, and yeah. then that's only for a short period of time. But there's uh, there's there's very few French people. There's 138 countries typically represented in the French Foreign Legion. Um, mostly French officers. You do have some rare situations where an enlisted legionnaire will get nationality and then and then become an officer. But then his career is fairly limited. He can't go as as far as like a French citizen. Can you do things in the French Foreign Legion that maybe more traditional militaries can't do unless you're special forces? Is it really a special forces kind of unit or, or army? So, so I, I would not say that the French Foreign Legion is special forces. I mean, they have special forces in France. Um, it's the okay. Premier Arpima. I mean, they they are the special forces. Um, but we I, like like for example, I was in the parachute regiment, so it was like the Ranger regiment. So our regiment, okay. our regiment was kind of mirrored after 22 SAS. So we had five companies, and each company had specific uh, specialty. Uh, there was an amphibious company, there was a weapon company that I was in. So you had the pathfinders, you had the scout snipers, which is what I was, and then the anti tank uh-huh. guys. Um, you know, you had the desert, mountain, forest, uh, urban combat guys. Um, so we were kind of mirrored. So we the, the, the cross train. 
So it's not special forces um, by any means, but but we're cross-trained probably more than a lot of special forces guys are. I mean, I just have a, a litany of of certificates and paperwork and stuff like that of different courses and different certifications and stuff, probably more so than some special forces guys. Um, but the mission tasking is a little bit different simply because um, top secret stuff is done by special forces. So we're typically the first ones in, but there's mm-hmm. going to be some of the guys on the ground right before us. Hmm. How many of the special forces were criminals escaping <laughs> persecution in their own country, if you can tell me? Um, um, that's kind of a that's kind of a thing of the past. I mean, there yeah, there are some guys that get you know probably escaping alimony or traffic tickets or or stuff like that. But the, the days of rapists and robbers and stuff like going the French Foreign Legion are, are over. You actually okay. have to pass. Uh, you actually have to pass a uh, an Interpol check. Um, oh. So, I mean, you know, so okay. Yeah. So so I mean, there, there's guys getting picked up at the front gate. They're like, yeah, I'm here, and the Interpol will come pick them up. So the days, and that's true. That it, you used to be able to show up, and get a fake name do your five years and get French citizenship in that fake name. Um, but those days are gone. Like you can't do that. I had that. You have to get rectified, which means get your passport and prove the, of what your real name is now uh-huh. before you even get, get deployed. So the days of the anonymity are almost gone with, with the Legion. Interesting. See, my experience would be Beau Gest, you know, with Ray Meland and uh, uh, who, yep, yep. <laughs> Gary Cooper. <laughs> you know, that's what I know about the foreign yep. Legion. This is why I'm asking these questions. Sergeant Franks. You know, who put uh, dead guys on the wall so the troops looked bigger or looked like he had more soldiers. That is a fascinating uh, uh, tactic. Um, so do, is, is there any kind of requirement? Because I'm a Canadian citizen. I was born in Toronto. And so I'm naturalized American sure. uh, when I became 21. So, but becoming an American, you, you renounce citizenships in other places. But Canada still recognizes my Canadian citizenship. The United States doesn't. Do you have any right. any citizenship or allegiance or anything carrying over from France? Any any further responsibility or duty to France, or does that end when you end your time with the Foreign Legion? No, no. So so uh, and and probably most people, you know, from third world countries and and Eastern Europe and Africa and, and wherever they go, to the Legion to try to get citizenship, French citizenship. Uh, but uh-huh. again, I, I'm an American. I've got I have the best passport in the world. You know what I mean? So right. um, I didn't I didn't have any need or want. Um, to, to, to try to get French citizenship. And, and technically, you can apply for French citizenship after you've paid three years of taxes um, over there. But, um, but I, just, I had a, a French passport didn't mean anything to me. So. But I'm just wondering if France gives you special recognition because you served, and would it be easier to get into no, France? Sir, say no, if you want to live there, work there for any time? Yeah, no, or, nah, when you're, when you're, unless you got French citizenship, then that. But, I mean, when you're in, you're a guest, and when you're out, you're a pest. So if you didn't get citizenship, um, <laughs> no one would no really said that before. Um, All right. Well, let's talk about different styles of self-defense. It looks like the thing I see in common between uh, Nikita, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correct. If I don't, let me know. uh, And you, Scott, is Krav Maga, which is the Israeli self-defense. Yeah, correct. So tell me about Krav Maga. Let's start with Nikita. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth between you two. Why Krav Maga as opposed to karate, kung fu, aikido, taekwondo, muay thai, or any other things that are popping in right now? Yeah. yeah, any of those other options. Um, yeah. So Krav Maga, because it is something anybody can learn at any age, uh-huh. at any fitness level, it can be adapted for previous injuries. Um, and the whole point is that it is, of Krav Maga is self-defense, right? It's not there just to look pretty. It's there to destroy the person that's aggressing on you. So right. for women's self-defense, you really can't get much better than that combination okay. of, of factors. 
Yeah, there's an ad circulating uh, about this guy that says, you know, real fights, you fight dirty. He's got, the, he's got the macho voice, right? He says, you know, if you're training in martial arts, you're training for a martial arts competition. You're training for a sport. But on the street, you need, you know, have I got the right voice for this? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, good. Well, yeah. I, I do my best. You know. Well, sure, and we were talking Irish before. It was kind of fun because this is sympathy state, but we can talk about that in a bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but, but Kramaga, and I'm thinking, I actually had one Kramaga lesson, and the guy showed me an armbar uh, and put just a little bit of pressure. I'm like, ow, I don't think this is for me. Um, but that maybe that was just that particular school might have been a little more aggressive. But uh, Krav Maga for, say, senior folks like in their 60s like me um, or other people, is it, is it for everybody? Is it adaptable to everybody? Uh, is it especially good for women, for example, in Nikita? Why, tell me more about it. I'm curious. And what, what does it specialize in? As far as for everybody, yes. One of our students, um, Mr. Kim, shout out to Mr. Kim. He started at what, Scott, 77, I want to say? Ooh, very cool. He shuffled in the door, and he shuffled the door a little bit foggy, and now here three, three and a half years later, he trains with us twice a week at night. He personal trains with me twice a week, and his goal was to live to 92, 93, so he can see his grandkids graduate high school. And he's, just, and he's on uh, track. He's a, he's a yep. yep. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. So, so we've got that. We, I mean, we, we've got women, we've got teenagers. Um, as far as women are concerned, um, you are right. Krav Maga is designed to be a violent response to a violent aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something that you have to learn and train up to that level of violence, but you also have to have a level of control, which mm-hmm. is what should be happening in a good Krav Maga class. Um, You've, you've got to meet your aggressor's aggression and then add at least 10%. So if they go 100%, you've got to go 110 because it's more of a life-saving, life-threatening situation. Um, so it's great for women because it does give you options that will help mitigate some of the differences um, as far as women being smaller, not being as strong. It's natural. It's, it's just biology, right? So we focus or I focus for women's self-defense on um, the technique itself, and our speed and surprise, because that's how women are going to be able to help mitigate that difference. Yeah, so the, I don't know if martial arts ever separate. Uh, and uh, Scott, I just muted your line only because I had some background noise on it. So if you're not chatting, feel free to mute your line. Uh, and uh, I tell this to everybody, this happens all the time. We get dogs barking. We get you know, people, hey, it's time for whatever. And like, Should that happen too. Let me see, if you, see how your line is now. Okay, that's better. Yeah, but you I always... Can, I, that's okay. Just mute it when you when you're if Good. you hear any background noise because we pick it up and it uh, yeah. uh, it becomes part of uh, part of the show. Um, so let me sure. so Nikita Nikita are there so for so Krav Maga for women particularly women smaller generally lower center of gravity. Uh, do you is it more lower you know like leg action arm action or is it a combination of both? Is it more like jujitsu stuff thrown in? I don't really understand Krav Maga yet, which is why I need to learn more about it. But uh, do you teach men and women differently? No, not necessarily. Um, okay. I will say that I put a, a great deal of focus on the technique in of itself because technique and, and being solid in that technique, you don't have to think about it because if you, the moment that you pause as the smaller opponent or as the weaker opponent in, in the case of most women is, is the moment that they win. So being able to train to where you don't have to think about it, you've got your technique and then you've got you know, if that fails and you've got one more thing right after it, mm-hmm. that's where my focus is. But I have a different teaching style because I have a different perspective on it, right? Scott and Eddie teach a little bit differently. It's still all the same techniques, 
but their perspective is different because who they are is different. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Can I, uh, can Scott? Can I, can yeah, I, go ahead. Your turn. If, if, yeah, if I can chime in. The, sure. It's, 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 like, it's, it's like the only difference between, as far as I'm concerned, and, and Nikita's known me for a long time, and she's been my, uh, my student, my friend, and right now my counterpart instructor. Um, mm-hmm. The only difference between men and women is that, unfortunately or fortunately, the Lord made me a little bit stronger than Nikita. Like I, I, she can work out forever, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to be a, phys- a physically stronger person. That's just life. In all other ways, women are equal to us, but unfortunately, I'm always going to have a bigger bicep. So, the, yep. so the issue with that, the issue with that is the Krav Maga is not defense; it's offense. She, as a, as a smaller person, if she lets me get to her, even if she has superior technique, I, I can like bulldog her, even if I just don't know that much. So she has to be violent and aggressive and win that very first encounter, or at least, yeah, okay. or at least injure me enough to get away. And, and that's the premise of Krav Maga. She's not trying to win a boxing match. She's trying to violently hurt me because I'm trying to hurt her, right? Let's put things in perspective. I've tried to right. rape, rob her, attack her, or kidnap her, and she has to violently cause damage to me until she can get away. And that's, and, and that's the, the mantra. Interesting. Okay. Totally agreed. Okay. Um, I, my awkward question I thought of, and I hear sirens in the background. That's kind of interesting as we're, as we're talking about this. Um, but uh, there's a rise in aggression of women. Women are, are stronger now, uh, working out more. The, if you look at the looting films, you know, like half the criminals that are looting stars are women. Uh, for, for men, uh, we have a, a, a psychological adaptation where we don't want to hurt women. But yet, what, what, do, what do men do with really aggressive women? Uh, are we at a disadvantage because we've been raised and it's in our soul and gut to, to never hurt women can be victims uh, of women? And how does, it, how does a man handle that? So, you're, are, you, are you asking about like like domestic violence from women towards men, or women attacking men? Is that is that what you're asking? Well, let's ask both. Now that you mention it, I'm just curious. Like I say, I, because, you know, I mean, because there's there's two mindsets there as, as far as I'm concerned. You okay. as a normal human being, a normal man, you as a normal man are not mm-hmm. going to have an understanding in your mind. Of, of hurting men, women or violence against women, right? Because if right. you understood that, if you could grab hitting a woman, then you wouldn't be a normal person. You'd be an evil person. So, right. so the, the idea of conflict between a man and a woman, like Nikita tested for her black belt, and part of her black belt test, the very last thing she did after two and a half, three hours, is she had to spar me full contact. Nikita weighs 100 and nothing, and I weigh 225. So, oh. so, so, so in my mind, in my mind, Nikita wasn't a woman. <laughs> So, so in my mind, Nikita wasn't a, a woman at that time. She was just a practitioner. And again, I have to okay. hold it back. But my goal in that, my goal in that was to, was to bang on her enough to make she had to get up and get up and get up and get up to prove to everyone else that she could take a punch from a man. Interesting. Everyone that was at the test that day. So, yep. so there's a certain amount of instructor in my in my mind that I've got to be okay with hitting a woman. But when I'm doing it, I'm not hitting a woman. I'm hitting the students. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mind game, you know. So so I'm not okay with hitting women. Clearly, when I put the gloves right. on and I have to spar with my students, there's a there's a there's a different mindset. And then that's graduated as well. Obviously, a brand new female coming in for the first sparring class, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna punch her hardly at all. 
Nikita and I right. spar, and Nikita comes in for it, and, and, and Nikita and I bang on each other when we spar. So it just mm-hmm. it just depends on training. And same thing for a new guy. I'm not going to wail on that new guy because he's not ready for it. But a trained up guy, well, we'll, we'll that bang would be me. So it's just mindset. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just it's just mindset. It's just mindset. Right. It's just being able to, um, like you know, we have a sparring class. I'll go full contact with a guy, and mm-hmm. bloody each other's noses. But there's zero mm-hmm. anger involved in that. It's training, and as soon as the round ends, we hug each other and we're done. So it's really it's it's, it's mindset and, and and the mental acuity to to be able to put things in focus. Interesting. Yeah, my problem with martial arts is that I'm a guitar player, so if my hands get damaged, you know, because I'm a musician, uh, so I need sure. to find a, a safe way to do the martial art where I can, like, you know, I can use elbows, knees, feet, I can do all that kind of stuff, but if my hands get involved, you know, there goes my future, you know, music career. <laughs> so it's, it's something I, I think well, about. I guess. Well, but I, go ahead. Uh-huh. I, can, I can speak to that because I have, I, 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 we train several surgeons and doctors and stuff, guys that literally do the same thing. Look, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing microsurgery on people's faces with my hands, so my hands can't get injured. And right. these are guys that train with us two and three times a week. So um, okay. it's all about finding the right school and the right instructor. Like you made your comment that you walked in the first day and the guy put you in an arm bar. Um, well, that's not very conducive to, to making you have uh, uh, an environment that feels safe no, and left. comfortable on your first day. <laughs> yeah. right. That's it. That, 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 I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. You ha- yeah. You, you have to find the right the right school and the right instructor that's not going to mm-hmm. try to show you how tough they are on the first day, but well, they're actually trying to give you nothing to make you safer. The, the, the attitude of the school was good. I just think that uh, a lot of them were much younger, uh, and I think it was more geared towards, you know, 20s guys, and I was like probably 50s at this time. And so I think I didn't think sure. they did it out of anger or aggression or to try to prove anything. I just think they were trying to show me a little bit because they didn't do it hard. As soon as I said, you know, stop, you know, okay. tap or whatever it was, he stopped. I mean, he, he was never trying to hurt sure. me or anything like that. But just the nature of Krav Maga, of the way they were teaching, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I think I might want to look into something else because I took Kung Fu years ago, which is fun, back in my 20s. Again, maybe not necessarily useful in the street, probably not, but it sure was great exercise and I got a whole lot stronger because I was doing that four nights a week back in my early 20s. Um, let me so, get so another comment for you, Scott. I want to bring on a caller. Go ahead. Okay, uh, just just real quick. If you're looking just for fitness or exercise, personal uh-huh. trainer is great. Um, you right. know, and go to the gym. If you're looking for if you're looking for self defense, remember someone's not going to attack you non aggressively, right? And us right. as normal human beings, we have a we have a mindset of just a modern day first world kind of you know things aren't aggressive. When the mm-hmm. kid and I do things and demonstrate things at like 80% speed in class, people get mm-hmm. shocked because we as normal human beings are not used to violence. And when we see it, it it's, it's a shocking thing. But we have to okay. have some idea of what that violence is. If not, that violence is going to take us over. Fascinating. But, you know, I was thinking what your comment made earlier about, uh, about controlling. You'd have to do that. In fact, Keita, if you, you know, met a guy on the street who was very aggressive but was a very slight man, if you use full force, you might kill him as opposed to just injuring and stopping the situation. So you have to use gradations of force no matter who it is, no matter what the situation, right? I'm thinking. Absolutely. And, and it's something that I discuss with, with my classes and my students and private clients as well. Is, uh-huh. is, and granted, women can get away with more than men, let's be perfectly honest, as far as self-defense uh-huh. is, is concerned because yeah. of, of the, the strength disparity. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you have permission to destroy somebody. And, again, I always say meet whatever their violence is and add at least 10%. And then okay. that way you're still above their, their level of violence and aggression. And, and like Scott mentioned earlier, 
I lose the longer I wait, the longer that it takes me to get out of the situation. I want to destroy the the person that's aggressing on me as fast as possible and get the heck out of Dodge. That's my goal as a a female fighter, self-defense, anybody. Get the heck out of Dodge as quickly as you can. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense to me. You're going to have to keto. The, the, mm-hmm. the way that we teach this is there's, there's, there's three responses, right? There's the aggression that is presented to you by Uncle Joe at the family reunion that's just drunk, that doesn't need to have his head rearranged. There's the guy right. that's Joe at the bar that, that, is, that is grabbing the girl, and, 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 but not, does, that still doesn't require total violence, but re- deserves to get popped. And then there's mm-hmm. evil Joe in the alley that's trying to take you away or do something, you know, horrible to you. That person yeah. deserves whatever they get. The first two people yep. don't deserve to have their heads rearranged. But mm-hmm. there's, that's the graduation of violence and, and aggression that we talk about. If you're in a, an alley and someone attacks you, first of all, you screwed up. You shouldn't be in the alley. But if someone's right. trying to rape, rob, or kill you, the last thought in your mind should be how much force you're using. You should just go full out and defend yourself. Yeah, but it's like uh, as we learn with concealed carry classes and things like that. It's uh, you know you have to defend yourself, but you're going to have to answer for it later. But you can't really think about that at the time. If your life's at stake, you've got to do what you have to do, and then you know pay the lawyers later, and, and, and you know then you can talk about it in the calm, rational courtroom or whatever. That's got to be a consideration too. Yes, sir. Correct. Okay. Well, it's always and that. So, so I'd rather be. Go ahead. You can both talk. Well, we'll no, we'll, we'll, no, we'll, no, yeah. <laughs> we'll go back and forth. You're you're, like you're exactly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right in what you're getting ready to say, Nikita. I, you know, I'd rather I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six, kind of thing, right? Um, so I yep. mean, and we and we do this and we do this in all of our gun classes and gun courses and stuff. If there's someone in your house with their hands on you and you have to pull your gun and shoot that person inside your house, don't expect the you know the USCCA talks about this all the time. Don't expect the cops to show up and high five you and then leave. Expect yeah. to get handcuffed. Expect to go to jail because it's the cops' job is not to judge you. The cops' jobs are to scoop up all the eyeballs and take it to the courts and let the courts deal with. Um, so, I mean, anytime you defend yourself, whether it's legitimate or not, expect to get arrested. Even, you know, that's, that's just the way things work. Do you integrate, this is my last question before I get to Pianchi, our, our caller, do you integrate gun training and Krav Maga into like one system? Is that some people request or do they teach them separately? And then how does it work? Because it'd be interesting to combine those two. So that's, that's, that's an amazing question, and what has oh, happened? Thank you. Um, so, so I was I was in Krav Maga for thirteen, fourteen years. Nikita, ten years. Um, Nikita was a rock star already, but she started training with me. She got her black belt underneath me, and she also got her black belt in tactical combative system. So it's my own system that I put What's together, that? and Nikita helped me put it together. Um, so it is my own system that incorporates not only Krav Maga but judo, Brazilian jiu jitsu, uh, wrestling, boxing, judo firearms training, life-saving skills, um, uh, how to stop, uh, you know, how to plug bullet holes, how to stop bleeding, how to help people. Um, and there's a belt system in that. For example, we have the uh, right before black belt, there's a camouflage belt. So you have to go through all of my firearms training and then pass a range day test to get this belt. Um, you have to huh. take the red belt. You have to pass my emergency life-saving course. You have to pass a water safety and water-saving course, and you have to pass, like, an obstacle course as well where you're actually carrying someone and whatnot. Um, so, yes, the answer to your question is my system that I, that I put together, tactical combative system, um, is, is exactly that. It's everything, one-stop shopping, all in one. 
I'm thinking I need to get you guys back for a regular report, like half an hour a week, for, and just call it the self-defense report. Um, something tells me. <laughs> we'll talk about that off the air. But I'm, I'm, I'm already visualizing. I'm already sure. thinking ahead for the show here. Yeah, so we'll talk. Let me bring Pianchi on, who's one of my most consistent and regular callers. Um, so, Pianchi, you're on with uh, Scott Yingling and, uh, and Nikita Kent from Yingling Self-Defense in Pensacola. Pianchi? Good conversation, Greg. I'm just listening. Okay. Did you want to comment? Not no? on that. It's the first time. <laughs> you always have a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I give you this big lead up, and I, 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 he fails me. No, I'm just teasing you, Pianchi. Uh, that's okay. We talk a lot of politics, a lot of, uh, of economics, a lot of fascinating stuff here. Um, but self-defense, you know, it's uh, – well, like I say, I've got the, the, the guitar issue. Uh, how about someone like me that wears glasses? Uh, I'm very nearsighted. And so I, I don't know if I can wear them during the class or not. I mean, I can't get them crushed because, you know, once I lose my glasses, I can't, can't drive home legally. Um, so what do we do in that situation? So you would, you would wear your glasses – for practicing, if we did any live drills where you're actually going to be like moving a little bit more um, aggressively, aggressively as in speed and, and you know and angles and stuff, you would be mm-hmm. able to take those glasses off. Um, because if you think about, it, we try to we try to train the way we're going to fight. And if someone were right. to put their hands on you in real life, those glasses are going to come off your face pretty quickly. Exactly. So, now I, I can see I can see it that close. <laughs> I'm not that bad, <laughs> you know. Sure. You know, but, uh, as but as, it, 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 yeah. Oh, go ahead. This is interesting. As long as, as, long as, as, yeah, as, 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 long, as long as you would be able to, you know, have the forethought and the foresight to, okay, well, we're going to be moving around a little bit more. Let me go ahead and take these glasses off and set them aside, just not to break them. Um, then as you're doing stuff, you're, you're actually probably kind of like training as you would fight because, you know, you're going to be slightly visually impaired. And you're going to try to be more tactile. You're going to maybe have to have your hands on the person more or, or whatever scenario. But, you know, everybody's different. If I, if I have 100 people in a room and I teach them five techniques – uh, 20 of those people are going to pick, you know, a percentage of all those people are going to favor certain techniques uh, and, and certain fighting styles. So, you know, we, we give you the roadmap, but then but you're going you're gonna to do it your, your, your own way. It's the difference between what we do and, like, say, like traditional karate. Traditional karate, the kata is this. It's, you do it exactly this way. You punch, mm-hmm. you block, you kick, you step, you punch, you block. Krav Maga is more of a principle mindset and a timeline. So uh, we're going to use certain tools against certain attacks, and then we have principles and techniques that are that are designed to put that in your mind. But it's not real black and white because if we have it real black and white, and that makes you stop, oh, that's not what I was shown in class. But if I have a principle, if they do this type of punch, I do this kind of block. Then it's I'm not I'm not getting stuck up on on that's not the way the kata is. It's more of a flow. And it's, mm-hmm. it's more it's more organic. Yeah, this sounds really interesting. Uh, obviously, I'm going to have to come down and, and, and take a lesson and try this out. So let's talk about your event tomorrow, and then I have to sort of you know try and fit this in my crazy action radio schedule. Uh, where you are, let's get all the contact stuff for the information on the event tomorrow. And uh, this is good. This is interesting. And Pianchi, if you have a question, please just jump right in. Uh, don't don't be shy. Uh, which he, he never is. I'm step off. <laughs> I don't even know why I say that, but uh, uh-huh. tell me about the event. I'll we'll go back and forth. I'm going to step off. I'm going to step off. Uh-huh. I'm going to step off for just one second. Nikita, she can answer all of that. I'll be right back. Okay. Great. And Scott will be right back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're still there. I'm being funny. You're supposed to go away. No, I'm just teasing. Nikita, tell me about the event. (laughs) Yeah. We're so so serious here. Can you tell? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's good work. It's good work. Um, Yeah. So the event tomorrow that we're doing, um, a lot of people, like I kind of mentioned, people like, oh, I don't want to go into the gym or I don't know about the self-defense class. So we are actually partnering with World Gym Pensacola on 9th Avenue. 
Uh-huh. Um, the, the owner there, Ed, is fabulous. He is opening up his open areas, his, his training spaces, for us to come out tomorrow from 10 to 12 and do an introduction to Krav Maga self-defense. So if you're curious, like, I don't know, is it for me? It's literally for teenagers and adults. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Kids, we train a little, a little bit differently. Their attention spans, you know, kind of like goldfish. You get so much No, mine's pretty short, too. I'm ADHD. I have no <laughs> attention span whatsoever. That's why I talk fast and joke a lot and uh, ask you a bunch of questions out of left field. That's why. So because, there must be up, like right? ADHD self-defense. There's got to be a, a Krav Maga class for the, uh, for the attention span challenged. <laughs> We do have we do we do have people like that. So you're go you just wail on people for a few minutes and then go right. Yeah, um, probably. I just get it all done. So fast. So, yeah. <laughs> so anybody can come out tomorrow. Um, it's free of charge and just a general idea of what we're going to be doing in this seminar. Um, obviously warming up because warm up prevents injury. Warm up. Right. We're going to be learning some basic combatives ways to do punches or really palm heels. Um, which you know if you come tomorrow is is it's. It, it's an alternative to punching that is just as likely to injure your opponent and less likely to injure you. Um, yeah, because fingers are really, I mean, the, the traditional punch that we see in the movies all the time, of course, people get after hit, being hit an amazing amount of times. It's like the guns that never need reloading. It's fascinating. But if you mm-hmm. hit somebody, if you hit somebody bare hand in their jaw, you could break a finger or more. You could do some serious damage to yourself. You could. And, and without getting in the weeds, because I, I can literally teach an entire class just on throwing a punch, um, there are We'll say that for ways. future future reports. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about biomechanics yeah. and physiology. Oh, I love words like that. <laughs> exactly. There's ways to help okay. yourself. Okay. But, but palm, heels, palm heels are easy to learn. They're great for everybody. And, and again, they're less likely to hurt you. Okay. Uh, so we'll do some basic palm heels, you know, kicks, knees, whatever the case may be. We'll talk uh-huh. about the timeline that Scott talks about because if they're super far away from you, a punch isn't going to do anything. If they're super right. close to you, you can't kick, right? Um, so we'll huh. talk about that. We'll do some techniques, maybe some bear hugs, um, some, some different actual hands-on-the-person techniques. Um, and uh-huh. then we'll usually come up at the very end and kind of do what we call like a stress drill. So we'll have you do something to get your heart rate up and going to mimic the stress of being in a situation, you know, obviously we're not going to put you in that situation, but if we can get your adrenaline going a little bit where everybody gets a little bit silly and a little bit dumb because of the stress and the adrenaline and then make you do those techniques, it's, it's a practical, safe way to practice. Um, yep, so that's Scott's back. I hear tomorrow. the noise. <laughs> 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 yes, sir. I'm here. 10, I'm here. 10 to 12. You don't have to be a member of either gym. Um, somebody will be, meet you guys at the door when you come into World Gym. It is the World Gym uh-huh. on 9th Avenue. Um, if they've got any questions, the event's up on Facebook. Obviously, they can contact myself or Scott as well. And all you really need is wear athletic clothes and bring, bring yourself a water bottle. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I was talking about that. I was going to ask you about and the clothes. Me, um, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, yeah just to chime in, a, a lot of people, um, folks who might be a little bit older, a little bit out of shape, or, or ladies as well, and Nikita can attest to this, look up and see Krav Maga like on YouTube, and they just see a bunch of military dudes with beards kicking the crap out of each other, right? And I think it's a false narrative because that's where it originally comes from, and that's where I learned it in the French Foreign Legion, and that's where it comes from, the Israeli Defense Force. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it is. Like if you just if you just saw Scott Gingland walking down the street, I'm a bald ex military guy with tattoos and a beard. So like you would be like, oh, well, that, that guy. But that's oh, I'll never not see how that in Pensacola. 
He's got more military <laughs> veterans here right. than right. any. He blend right in. <laughs> but but just because I am that guy, and I've I've been doing this long enough that mm-hmm. I'll take a, a, a five-year-old child and train that child as that child should be trained. I'll take right. a 25-year-old military dude and smack him around because that's what he needs. Or I'll take mm-hmm. a, a woman and give her the training that she needs. So you need to be able to have an instructor that gives you your type of training and not my type of training. It's like there are no bad students. There's bad instructors kind of deal. So you need to make sure that, you're, that you understand what we do is kind right. of tailored to everyone depending on their level. Well, this is um, this is really fascinating because it relates to what I used to do years ago as a flight instructor, and I noticed that uh, the FAA standard training and flight school standard training it's rote. Do what I say, repeat the procedure, and you know how sure. to fly. And I rapidly found out that was a bunch of BS. That people were just repeating what I was yep. saying. They were just flying the technique, but they had no idea how to relate the technique to anything else, and they made all the same mistakes I made in flying. And so I, when, as soon as I realized yeah. that, I started, you know, consulting. I actually ended up writing a book, The, the Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, which is a total change in, in attitude. It's, uh, it's, it makes you pilot in command from day one. You start thinking as a pilot. You get your, your, your mind adjusted, you know, and it's a totally different system. And you understand. And if you don't understand, you know, I'm going to find out real fast. I'm going to make, you know, we're going to work on this until you do understand, you know, at a much higher level. And it sounds like you're doing exactly the same thing with martial arts. Why are we doing this? What is the purpose? Well, Where does it fit in? You know, and there's there's much more personal consultation as opposed to you know martial one size one lesson fits all kind of thing. And I I, I think I, I learned that cause I, I learned a lot in the French Foreign Legion because I became a sergeant uh, and a, a scout sniper, a, a squad leader, and a sniper instructor. And as you when you go through sergeant school in the Legion, it's mm-hmm. like it's like leadership school. So you, it's, like, it's like endless training on how to how to teach the teacher and how to be an instructor and and they literally go, I mean, I, I guess it's maybe the French system, maybe it's the French Foreign Legion, but they talk about the different learning disciplines. You know, some people are visual, tactile, auto, auto, you know, auditory. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have the instructors, and you and, and, and you and I have both seen this, you have instructors that teach everyone the same way. Well, that yep. instructor is only reaching one out of five people because that one, that one person is going to understand the way I teach. But if I don't understand and try to cater to the learning styles of the other people, I'm losing most of my students. So, so that's yeah. that's something I think that I've brought into the equation and tried to and, and passed on. So, you know, not everyone's the same, not everyone learns the same. And if the person doesn't get it, it's not because they're dumb; it's because I'm not teaching it the right way, and I need to find a new way to teach it. So Makes that's sense. that's something I think that I kind of pride I pride ourselves on because I think mm-hmm. we all do that a lot. There's never like a oh god you you don't get it. No, it's a man. <laughs> what am I not doing correctly? Because they should yeah. be getting it. You know. So yeah. that's that's kind of that's kind of how we we work. Yeah. Nikita, do you have a comment on that? No, I mean, he pretty much hit the nail on the head. And that's, and that's teaching and instruction in general. It doesn't matter what you do. You, you know, he's right. There, there are no bad students. There are bad instructors. And, and that's just something that, as an instructor, you should constantly be changing and improving your own instruction technique. Because at the end of the day, we're there for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole point. So if we're, if we're not helping the people that we're there to help, then that's on us. And so we adapt. You know, we have yep. uh, constantly evolving, constantly changing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, we have something in uh, uh, on our page, the Action Radio, in the in the gun group, and other times the NRA used to do this. You know, gun saving lives. So people have used guns in self defense, <clears throat> but I don't 
ever remember hearing a story of where somebody used a martial art of any type to save their life. That story, that story doesn't make the news. Uh, you hear the violence and you hear all the other things uh, and you hear the, the abuse of guns, but you don't hear uh, life-saving stories using uh, any martial art. Uh, is that a fault of journalism? Are they just not reporting it? Are people not telling that story? What's, uh, what's happening? I'm curious. So, so, so my personal take on that is that we live in such a litigious society now that almost any time there's any type of physical altercation, the person that is defending themselves um, is almost, unless it's just blatant, right, unless it's like some guy jumping on a girl behind a building, well, yeah, that's, that's obvious. But right. it's, it's almost always the person that defends themselves Ha- is, is guilty until proven innocent. And nowadays, I mean, it's just, it's just, hmm. it is what it is, and I've been a victim of this myself. I mean, if, 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 you, if someone hits you and you hit them back two or three times, it's almost mm-hmm. impossible, it's almost impossible to, 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 to justify in a court why, why, you only hit them, why didn't you just hit them once? Why did you hit them three or four times? Mm-hmm. Well, I was defending myself. Well, so, so the, people, the people who are giving you the questions don't understand the self-defense. They're people, it goes back to my, to my statement earlier of people don't know what violence is. To most people, me hitting you is a violent act they, that they could never consider. Well, if you hit me first and I hit you back several times, well, then why did I go so overboard? Why was I so crazy with my defense? Mm-hmm. When that's not the case. Like if I'm, if, if I'm going to defend myself against you because you're aggressing me, expect me to hit you at least at the very least three times because that's just a combination and that's going to be the amount of damage that I need to cause to you to create separation and get away from you. People don't understand that. And then even if I explain that, unless you've been in a class and you've sparred and you've taken hits and stuff back and forth, your brain doesn't process that. It doesn't process, I need to hit you more than once. Um, so, so I think the reason that we're not hearing about it, to your question, the reason we're not hearing about it is because it's, 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 just, it's too much of a negative connotation on it. Defending yourself has literally become almost uh, a faux pas, taboo. Like you shouldn't, you should just, just take it. Um, and, and that's not who we are. Like, I mean, again, back to the thing, I, I'd rather defend myself or defend my loved ones, defend my child, defend my friends, and then, you know, and then explain myself uh, to, to the judge. I'm, 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 we're not going to just lay down and not do it because of mm-hmm. something that might happen in a courtroom later. Makes sense. Nikita, do you know stories? Of, uh, you don't have, I don't want names, obviously, but uh, uh, stories of people who have actually used Krav Maga or any self-defense, uh, and it just, it just doesn't get talked about, doesn't get reported, which it probably should be, um, because why not? You know, if someone successfully defends themselves, that to me is news. I'm well, just curious. And I will say there, ha- there is one recently that hit the news. I don't know if you saw it, the um, girl that was attacked in Hillsborough County in Florida. Did you see that one in the gym? No, tell me. Uh, I think I've heard. So, I think I may have heard of this. Yeah, but let's get the details. Yeah. So she was actually in her gym working out. Let a guy in, thinking that he just forgot his key card up in his apartment, and mm-hmm. he starts watching her throughout the day. She's at least she's she's very situationally aware. Now, to my knowledge from the reports, I don't see that she's had any self defense training. But her parents have, had always like instilled in her like that: never give up on anything, just keep fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he eventually does aggress on her. He attacks her in the gym, and she fights back with everything she's got, survives the whole thing. Um, he's arrested. He's obviously currently in jail, you know. Um, but now, because of that, there's a bunch of gyms in South Florida, South and Central Florida, that are offering 
self-defense classes for their patrons simply because of that being reported. So I think I think Scott's completely right as far as why things aren't being reported, but I also agree that, that they there could be a good outcome. Mm-hmm. It just depends on who gets the story and how it's told. Interesting. We actually had a woman shot in a gym now that I think about it. Uh, it was like 4.30 mm-hmm. in the morning. And so her ex, you know, we know the story, um, knew she was there. And a lot of times people who are concealed carry people are not going to be carrying in a gym just because everybody's going to see the gun on your, you know, athletic wear. So, uh, so self-defense, you know, might be an essential thing as a backup, especially if you have a domestic violence potential situation. Yeah, and then there was a the woman um, that we were on the news for, the, the woman who did fight back. Um, she, she did use pepper spray, but she also, like, Elvin fought back the guy that was uh, her boyfriend that was trying to stab her and her son or did stab her and her son in the car. Um, yeah. And, again, that, that fighting spirit is what you need. Now all we need to do is, is actually add the, the knowledge and the techniques in a class to make you that much better. Yeah, makes sense. Scott? Yeah, and... And just and just to this, I don't I don't like to to sell a dream. I don't like to give like like because like a, a lot of martial arts and a lot of instructors go, if you do this technique, you will disarm the opponent, right? And you know this is the thing. If someone pulls a knife on you, you do this and then you win. Um, the 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 success percentage of these techniques under stress with the adrenaline and the, and, the, and the cortisol that 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 is that is popping out of your body. Mm-hmm. With the violence that you're attacked with, because this person is this person has been ready and been thinking about it for a day or days, and now you're all of a sudden just attacked with it. A lot of times, this stuff won't work to begin with, right? If I come up to you with a knife and want to kill you, mm-hmm. you're going to be dead, right? If I come up to you with a gun and want to kill you, you're going to be dead. Like you can't disarm me because I'm just going to pull the gun out and shoot. Like so, we have to keep a, the proper mindset of if someone's right. holding a gun on you, and this actually helps mitigate stress too. If someone's holding a gun on you and they're not shooting. They're, they they aren't ready, they, they don't want to kill you, so that gives you the ability to get in front of the curve and then do your technique. Um, but we can't lie to ourselves. If if someone like the, like the, like the poor lady in the in the gym, she probably never had a chance. He probably just walked in, pulled the gun, and shot her. There's no self defense right. for that. Like, there's no right. self defense, right? Unfortunately, other than having a gun on yourself and shooting, like you know, it's you have to be a little bit uh, omniscient, right? You have to like see it coming before it comes. But but the thing that we work on is is threats and and not letting ourselves be in uh, surprise situational awareness right seeing what is normal and if we understand what's normal then we understand what's abnormal and that's mm-hmm. a that's a big thing for us because I'm going to win every fight I don't get into so uh, yeah. if I am never putting myself I don't I don't I don't go out after you know I'm 45 years old I don't go out after 10 o'clock anymore because to me nothing good happens in the world. At after 10 o'clock out, right? It's just people drunk, people want to get in a fight, people are going to start things or, 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 or say something to, to my significant other or whatever. So I just, I, I keep myself out of situations where I would have to get into a fight. And that means that I'm winning every night. <laughs> so. Makes sense to me. I don't drive on New Year's. Uh, <laughs> you know, for the same reason. Pianchi, yeah, welcome back. I tell women <laughs> that they should have three items. A gun on their hip, a derringer in their bra and a six-inch hat pin in their hair. Because you can't <laughs> yeah, be like smacking. Like yeah, you can't be smacking people upside the head. Now there's they, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, no, and, you and had I, a I, case I, where just, you had another case where this black male 
comes up behind this frail uh, woman, picks from behind, picks her up and slams her to the pavement, paralyzes her and robs her. And that there is just totally, totally, totally barbaric. So uh, you have to, you know, I mean, the fighting it is okay, I guess, but uh, I want some weapons for these crowds. Is I got so uh, I Candace disagree. our next guest on is uh, is that oh, part of yeah. uh, we got Nikita well, okay we got a couple minutes because uh, I want to I want to kind of finish up and give you a chance to give your contact information again do you yeah, yeah. Is Scott is is there are there weapons incorporated I know we talk about firearms and self defense but do you have I don't know everything from cubitons to to knives to other self defense weapons I mean I'd carry a sword if I could just because I'm kind of you know 1800s classical kind of person um, but is that all in it and then I get Nikita. Okay. Um, yes, I mean we we we, we incorporate everything. Um, okay. Sticks, knives, uh, bottles, um, anything I can pick up and throw at you. <laughs> like you know. Keys. Um, every, every, everything's a weapon. That's why, like, I don't like the term assault rifle, right? Because I mean, it's a chair, and if I pick up it and hit you with the chair, it's a assault chair, right? So it's not an assault rifle unless I assault you with it, right? It's just a gun. So um, anything is anything I can hit you with, you know, I, I can hurt you with. So we use all we use everything. We train everything. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that knives are way more dangerous than guns. Um, okay. A gun's only dangerous that. in one direction. As long as right. I deviate the barrel to where I can't get shot, uh, I'm, I'm okay for in, in, mm-hmm. if I know what to do. Uh, right. A knife, uh, if, 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 if I have ill intentions towards you and I have just a little bit of idea what I'm doing with a knife, there's nothing. There's literally nothing you can do other than just try to knock me out. Um, okay. All the the fancy technique. I mean, I can block stuff. There's stuff to do, but if, if I have some training with a knife, if a woman has some training with a knife, that's all she needs. That's all okay. she needs because, she, I mean, she'll, I'll cut you 10 times before you realize you've been cut. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'd like to learn more about knives. It's quite fascinating. I mean, thousands of years, people have defended themselves and committed crimes and, you know, won conquered territories with knives and short swords and things like that. Uh, Nikita, let's get the last comment, and then let's, uh, let's kind of wrap up a bit and then give your contact information in the event tomorrow. And I'll have you back on. This is fun. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Nikita? I guess my last comment really just to kind of summarize is, is that get in there, get, do your self-defense, find the place that works for you right? Mm-hmm. Um, find the instructor that works for you and is able to work with you and, and really just get out there and learn. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Anybody can do it. Don't let yourself be limited. It's that whole, I had to walk through the, the gym proper, right? And that was uncomfortable. Just get to the door, get inside, and, and you'll find that it's, it's not as intimidating as, as you think it's going to be. Anybody can do it. And that's the idea for Saturday. Come out, Try it out at World Gym at 10 to 12 in Pensacola on 9th Avenue. Um, see what you think. You're not committed to anything. Just come out, try it. And I have a feeling that if you do that, you're going to have a great time. You're going to learn a lot. Um, and, and it will really be a great way to spend part of your Saturday. Um, yeah. As far as... Think, let me let me bring yeah, uh, Candace yeah. on the line, too, just to see if she, she's a, a regular reporter. Um, let's bring her, let me make her line live. Scott, your line's buzzing a bit. Um, so let me just... If you can mute yourself until you're ready to chat. Candace, I know this is not uh, – you didn't expect this, but uh, do you have any self-defense questions or questions for Nikita or, or Scott uh, Yingling from Yingling Self-Defense? Yeah, well, first of all, good morning to everybody. And um, I didn't get to catch on because I have a new rescue horse this morning, so I've been 
full gear with my barn chores this morning, taking care of her. But um, it, it definitely is something that I've always been interested in. So I'm glad that I kind of took that last step because I normally carry uh, my pistol on me pretty much everywhere I go um, because it's, you know, we you never know when you might need something to, to defend yourself with. But I've also grown up carrying a pocket knife too. So it's really nice to hear, you know, a knife is, is good because a lot of people think, oh, well, that's not going to really protect you. So um, I would definitely be interested in taking a class for sure because um, there is a lot of times that I'm out by myself and camping or hiking or doing things, and it would be nice to have that, um, you know, that confidence if it came down to it. Nikita? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and at the end of the day, like you have your gun, you have your knife, which is fabulous, but you also got to be able to get to it. So if you are taken right. by surprise, you got to be able to fight to your weapon. And that's where we could, that's why we have that holistic tactical combative system. That's why all of it's involved because you got to be able to yeah. do all three. So we're, right. we would be happy to have you anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I'll certainly check it out. Y'all are located in Pensacola, correct? Yeah, so Yingling Self-Defense and Fitness, our home gym is on Davis Highway, 5007-1 Davis Highway. If you're familiar with Sky Zone, the trampoline park, we're in that park or that shopping center next to Subway. Um, and we have classes at 530 to 630, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday for adult self-defense. We also do kids on Mondays and Thursdays, 445 to 530. So, you know, come out, check us out. We're pretty much always there. And, you know, first class is always on us. So. Okay. After this conversation, uh, Eddie and Nikita are going to be doing most of the the seminar, but I'll come in at the end. And Nikita and I were kind of questioning what I was going to teach. What I will teach at the end will be be some basic uses of how to fight uh, when you're having a knife in your hand. So so we'll we'll do some stuff. I'll bring some, some plastic knives and stuff. And so my part at the end will be will be some knife techniques. Oh wow! There you go. Something I never thought of until just now, but uh, especially with uh, with Candace being out in the woods a lot, uh, animal defense. Does anybody teach like bear defense? I mean, we have bears here in Florida. I, mean, I never thought about that until just now. But but uh, is that included in the system? I don't, for me, animal defense is the same thing. So I I keep a can of high powered wasp spray in my car. Um, the best mace, the best pepper spray, the best dog defense that you could ever have is a can of wasp spray. What's that? Someone How do you spell that? Comes up, if someone comes up to your window and you hit them in the face with some high-powered wasp spray, they will leave you alone. Oh, wasp. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the the wasp. Yeah, like bees. Like raid? <laughs> that kind of stuff? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, like, yep. like if there's a wasp nest on your, on your underhang of your, of your building – and you get like the highest-powered nozzle wall spray that shoots up about six feet. Huh. I never thought about it. They have to go to the hospital to, to get it taken yep. care of. So you know that the cops will be looking for the person that got hit with wall spray at Baptist or Sacred or wherever. Yeah, that's a good, that's well, a good idea. Uh, Jackie? What's really fun, I always have a, a big lighter with it. <laughs> oh, I didn't. So now hairspray it's Scott? No, go ahead, yeah, Scott. Yeah, so, so yeah, so I mean, what he said is he's going to pull a lighter out and turn it into a flamethrower. Um, but that, that's going to require more time. When you, I, don't, I don't need to necessarily set up a fire. I just need to blind them. Yeah. 
Huh. Okay. I mean, this has been fascinating. Uh, if you two want to stick around for a while, I want to talk to, to Candace, but uh, you're welcome to stick around, or if you have other stuff to do, feel free. Uh, I think we've got your contact stuff. If people don't, we'll do contact one more time, but if anybody misses it, catch the podcast. We only have another about 50 minutes on the show, uh, but uh, it's always kind of fun to have people hang around for a little bit uh, and then join in. But uh, So let's do contact one more time, um, Nikita, and then uh, just because uh, your line's a little bit clearer, and then uh, let's get on to Candace. I want to, find, I want to hear about the horse rescue. I mean, like I say, you guys can stick mm-hmm. around if you want. Yeah, Nikita? Okay. So, so just pull up Yingling Self-Defense and Fitness. Um, if you want to contact me directly, you can give me a call or text. It's 850-377-7116. Um, and then tomorrow for the, the seminar, just show up at World Gym Pensacola on 9th Avenue. We'll see you guys at 10. Sounds good. You guys have been great. Let's, uh, let's give you a round of applause here. <laughs> Sister, bring your daughters, bring your mothers, bring your brothers. Like, like, come out to the thing as, as, as a family, right? So, I mean, there's no reason for you to come by yourself. You know, those who train together can are, are going to have uh, more ability to to, 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 to further their, their training. Because if you and I go to the class together, then we're going to talk about what we did, and it sticks in my head more. So bring your family, bring your friends, come out as groups. Makes sense to me. Okay. Let's do a little transition here for a few seconds, and then we'll get on to Candace. Radio, dangerously cool. The other one I have here. So we have a new title for this report: "Believe the Journey with Cowgirl Candace." That's you, <laughs> Candace. What's going on? What, what are you doing res- rescuing a horse? What, tell me about that. What you been up to <laughs> since our last chat? Um, well, I mean, just that rescuing horses. Apparently, um, it was a uh, you know, it's quite fascinating. Every time I do, find, and it's not very often that I do take on horses and then rehome them. A lot of times they do kind of stay here permanently um, for the most part, but I did just recently rehome one of the rescues that I've had for about two years, um, but it mm-hmm. was um, I rehomed it to a family member, and that was literally last week. So I just opened up a stall in my barn, and we were out getting ready. We had the horses saddled up. I um, typically ride at different locations. It was just one of my regular locations. I just bridled the horses and a man stopped and he said, you know, I I live down the road and there's been um, a, a house there with some horses and I've watched two of them starve and, and pass away in the pasture. And um, it is unfortunate. I hear the story a lot and I, I've, you know, I personally rescue these horses. So it's not like I reach out to people or go knocking on doors normally. But um, in this situation, the man just, you could hear the plea in his voice, and he said, I've done all that I could do. I've called animal control, and, you know, I just, I can't watch this other horse bear the same life that the other two have. Can somebody please go do something? And, of course, there was about nine of us girls, and everybody looked at me, <laughs> you know, because I'm the one with <laughs> How the How about that? Yeah, I know that feeling, yeah. They're like, yeah what are you going to do about it? And I was like, oh, man. So it was actually the first time that I literally just randomly, you know, stopped what I was doing, took a truck and trailer, drove up to these people's property. It's a long driveway like mine. You know, we're in the middle of, you know, the backwoods. And I'm like, yeah, this is is a perfect opportunity for me to use that (laughs) self-defense that we were talking about earlier because I'm like, you normally just don't show up to somebody's house, but I could see the horse from the from the road and 
from that, it was probably a good 20 yards away from me, and I could I could still see how skinny she was from there. So I knew it was a really wow. bad situation when I pulled up. And uh, we walked down this long driveway, and the horse is just standing there, and the fencing is just probably the worst fence job I've ever seen. I don't know how she didn't walk through it. And we get up to the cabin, and it was a pretty – pretty bad situation walking up I, I definitely had that uneasy gut feeling um you know and I stuck to it because I knew the horse needed help and in those situations you know some people just don't see it the way other people see it um and I've learned that over the years and you can't go in saying hey you got a starving horse out there you know I'm gonna you can't be aggressive in that situation so I, I sugarcoated it as much as possible and pleaded with them to say hey you know I'd love to take this horse off your hands. I could use her for the training or for the trail riding business. And um, I didn't keep, I didn't tell too much of my information to protect myself there. And mm-hmm. at first they were like, no, she's not for sale. And I said, well, I tell you what, you know, I'm, I'm here in the area today and I'm going to ride for a little while and I'll call you back and give you some time to think about it. But I really, I really like her and I, I'd like to take her on. And they immediately was like, she's not broke. You know, she's only like five or six years old, which is a good thing. You know, it's good that she's young. That means, you know, I'm not dealing with a 30-year-old rescue that's going to take a lot more time to heal. But either way, I would have gotten her out of that situation. And so when I when the man closed the door, I walked up to the fence line, and she came directly to me, and she just put her head in my, in my hands, which is always heartbreaking, you know, because it's one of those – I don't know if I'm going to get her out of the situation or not. So I think the most heartbreaking thing out of all of it was walking back up that driveway and watching that horse watch me walk through it, you know. So at that point, you know, it was – you could tell the horse was grieving and that it, it wanted out of the situation that was in. So that was probably the hardest ride that I had to do that day in a long time because I didn't know if we were going to actually get this horse out of the situation that night. And – um so we rode for about three hours, and I called the people back, and I said, look, I don't care how much it costs. You just tell me a price, and I'd like to come pick her up, but I want to pick her up tonight. And so we ended up paying a pretty penny to get her out of that situation, $1,500, wow. which is probably the most expensive um, the most expensive rescue to this date that I've had to be involved with. But luckily, I have a community of of people that, you know, just just knew the situation and we all got together and said, how much do we have? Let's uh, let's get this horse out of the situation. So we worked with what we got and I went back that night and I picked her up and um, she just followed me right, right out the gate like she just knew. And, you know, when horses aren't broken, they're not trained, putting them in a dark horse trailer is normally not a very easy task. And so I knew my time was limited there and we got her up to the trailer and I had two other girls with me and I told them, I said, you just let me, she's curious. So let me see if she'll walk right in with me. And, and she did. And, um, the next day we had already had a vet appointment. So I called my vet and I said, Hey, I, I got a horse in bad shape. I need you to, to check this one out for me. And, and of course they know me they normally know when I bring a trailer load, there's always something that, <laughs> that has a problem <laughs> that, that, right. uh, that I picked up along the way after the last rescue. So we got her there, and she weighed 740 pounds, and she should weigh about 980 to 1,000 pounds. So we got a wow. good ways, yeah. ways to go. So, you know, it's, that that just shows you how, how skinny she is. And, and we're getting there. She's 
she's filling out and it's going to take about 90 to 120 days to really get that weight back on her. And, mm-hmm. um, and I won't be able to do a lot of training with her other than just giving her that attention that she's, she needed. And come to find out she's not five to six, which I had a feeling you get into those situations and normally you can't believe anything. You got to listen to the horse mm-hmm. and she's in her mid teens, early teens, mid teens, between 10 and 15 years old. And apparently she was born on that property and um, the other two horses that had passed away on that property were relatives of her, so she had to witness that. So um, we named her Indy for, or Indigo, so um, which means intuition and wisdom. So I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping here in the next couple months we'll we'll get her out and see what what she has to offer. But right now she is enjoying the love of all the hay and all the alfalfa that she can get. <laughs> wow. That's a wonderful story. Uh, you you do amazing things. So let's uh, well, let me give you a round of applause too, because you're just incredible. <laughs> so I, I had this vision because Scott, Scott's still on the line of uh, Yingling self defense. You know, uh, beyond what's your, what's your, I forgot the name of your place. Believe the journey, uh, horse riding. Yeah. Uh, I see. I see like a joint event of like a Krav Maga martial art horseback ride camping something. I don't know. I just putting things together because you're both on the line. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you folks need to talk. <laughs> Scott? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always open to things like that because I think self-defense and I've actually got a couple people that I, I want to do some women retreats. So maybe Scott, that might be something that might intrigue you. I got a cabin that's a friend of mine. She does Airbnb and it's out there where we can hike or do yoga or ride horses that I want to do some all-day event with women, probably a group of six to eight women, and really just have, hey, these two hours we're going to do this, and this hour we're going to talk about this, and then maybe in the afternoon we're going to go for a horse ride or go for a hike. So um, I haven't put it all together, but I'd love to have have you all out if that's something that interests you all. I, I have ideas. Um, there's not enough people in the world that mm-hmm. want to give themselves to help other people. Or help animals. There's so many people that just walk by and they see the need and they and they turn their head. Um, with that sheep yeah. mentality, um, we, we are sounds like you as well are like sheep dogs um, among the wolves. Um, and so many people turn a blind eye to people, animals, things that are in need. Um, so I, I would love that. I do an operating outdoors course. So I mean, if we can incorporate, you know, teaching people how to how to how to make a fire or how to how to build a shelter or just you know just general yeah. life skills. Crazy world that we live in. Who knows when you might need to build a fire, right? So. Yeah, yeah, and that's something. I mean, I, I actually, I've only done one so far, and it's um, I do pack trips where I take them out, and I want to do more rustic pack trips. You know, a lot of people, I can put up a tent all day long, and you'll they'll sleep in it for a day or two, but to really get that rustic feel, almost like the out west, where I take you out, we're in the middle of the woods, and we're setting up the bare minimum campsite for the night and the next day we get up we pack up and we ride out but i think those skills i mean even for myself those skills are necessary that we think should be taught as children on how we can protect ourselves and how if if push comes to shove and we got lost in a situation we can overcome that uncomfortable feeling and have the confidence to know okay well i can at least build a fire i can at least defend myself so i would love to I would love to get with you and talk more about it. You can come back, friends. What's that now, Scott? 
Well, I'll get you all connected after the show. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, what are the, this is what I love about Action Radio, okay, because Candace originally could not make the show today. And, uh, and you guys had just talked to Nikita, I think, maybe a week ago. And she said, and I read about the event. I posted on my Facebook page. She said, why don't you come on the show? How about Friday? That's a good day. It's, it's usually pretty quiet, you know. Uh, and uh, we just had Derek before, before uh, uh, you guys joined us. But uh, the chances of you two. And I thought, you know, I, I should bring Candace on and not separate the two reports. Just, just because. I like to sort of have people yeah. talk to each other from, from different disciplines. And now you're already connecting. You're already, you know, doing horse and martial art. And uh, it's too bad Nikita left. Uh, get her back on the line. <laughs> I think we need her. Because I think she'd love to go. <laughs> on a women's retreat with uh, with Candace and uh, and do some horseback riding and, and teach some crap and go. Yeah. Okay. This oh is fascinating. <laughs> so, so let's get back to the, the, the horse you rescued um, because the, the mindset, as we talked about the mindset of, uh, of people, anybody that can be violent towards somebody else, those of us normal people, we don't understand that. That's just, it just, you know, makes us sick. We don't, we don't get it. But uh, if you're a sociopath, psychopath, or have other problems, you know, you can do this to other people. What is it, what, what, what makes a person able to do this to an animal, to starve an animal uh, generationally? You know, that said uh, they don't care. And they're selfish about it, too. Not only do they don't, not want that animal to live, they don't want anybody else to help that animal either, unless it's yeah. at an extortion rate of money. So what kind of people are we dealing with? And you may not want to go into this in great depth, but it's just I, I try to understand the incomprehensible. This, to me, is incomprehensible. I don't have animals because I don't have time for them. It's not a fair thing to do to an animal to uh, – well, Scott's left the line here, so we'll, I'll get you guys in touch afterwards. But uh, to okay. me, you know, I don't have animals specifically because I don't have – I love animals. I love everybody else's pets. They're great. But I, I just don't have them, so I don't take on the responsibility of an animal knowing full well that I'm too busy uh, and it wouldn't be fair to the animal or to me uh, to be able to do that. But what kind of person? I mean, I don't understand that they don't want um, they don't want to help the animal and they don't want to, they don't want anybody else to help the animal either, unless you know you fork over a whole bunch of money so they get something oh, yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah, that huh. was a ridiculous. You know, and we mm-hmm. there could have been numerous ways that we could have gotten involved in it. It's not that we're not going to get more involved with the situation. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I, the one, again, this was the first time that I literally walked up on the property and was, and pleaded. For so the no appointment, and, you hadn't called them, you just yeah, literally just I, rang you know, the doorbell. I went with it two yeah. days, you right. know, and a lot of people were like, well, why didn't you just call the law and get them involved with it? Well, then once that's involved, it's more time on the, on the horse, you know, because then they have right. to open a case up and they have to go through it. So at that point, I knew I, we had the funds. And I had the space in the barn to bring in one, so it was it just worked out in that situation. Um, and mm-hmm. I just unfortunately our area we don't have a lot of um, support, and our animal control doesn't have even a impound yard for these horses that come into it. In the case, just like anything else, takes so much time, and a lot of these horses end up losing their life before it's even dealt with. So. Again, it was one of those, we just wanted the horse out of that situation right then and there. So we did what we thought was best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got a case started. I took her to the vet the next day. We documented everything. I had somebody video me going up to the horse, videoing me putting the money where I need to put the money and things of that nature to make mm-hmm. sure if this came back, here's the, here's the documentation, here's what we got her out of the situation. She didn't even have any water in the in the pasture the bucket that was supposed to have water was completely broken and i don't know how long she had went without water um and as far as the people go you know when i knocked on that door after i walked over um you know the 
dirty underwear and everything else and the rusted machete <laughs> all in one thing. I was thinking, this is where I'm going to get met with a shotgun barrel to my yeah. face. So I was already prepared. This is where you make the evening so news, and uh, I have to find a new reporter. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, that was processing in my head. I was like, how oh, yeah. am I going to take this? Um, you know, but uh, when I got there, you know, the the person that opened the door you know, it was kind of one of those, you could tell there was some mental, whether it was physical and mental, and they just, I don't think he really realized the situation. And, and if you would have seen the home and the situation that I had to walk through to get to this horse, um, you know, it just, it, me as an empath, I don't feel sorry for them, but I don't, I don't hate them. I just don't think they were educated. And I don't think the capacity they had, they could see what was going on outside of what they were in, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I've sense. rescued people that literally the people knew they were doing wrong, but they were in such a depressed state that nothing else mattered at that time. And it's, it really pulls at my heartstring because I am a people pleaser. And not only do I want to help the animals, but I want to help the people too. So I don't really want to be like, taking it into a negative situation. I mean, it could have went south if I would have done it in an aggressive way and said, hey, your horse is skinny and I'm going to call the law right now unless you give it over. Chances are they that's might have gave work. it without having to charge 1500 but that's just not me and my heart. Do I want to make sure they don't ever put themselves in a position to have any more starving horses? Yes, but do I want to see them go through and get hurt themselves if they mentally are not there. No. So it's just, it's really a sticky situation. And, um, I've, you know, I've, I've pulled up and rescued horses where the people are living in $800,000 houses and driving brand new vehicles. And they just are like, Oh, well, horses supposed to live on grass and we're in Florida and they have no grass in the pasture. They're eating the landscaping timbers off the fence, you know, but they just don't it. They don't see it. I've picked up one that lived on 10 acres and it was beautiful grass, but that in our area, our grass is normally not nutritional enough for all horses. Every horse has a different metabolism and, you know, and every, that particular horse that I picked up, those people were really nice. They wanted 1500 for the horse and I actually ended up paying 800 because I was honest with them because I knew I could get through to them. And I said, look, you know, this horse needs a lot of work. He's got bad teeth. It's going to cost me $1,500 when I take him to the vet to just get him. And I could tell that they loved the horse. They were just stuck in that situation. And then they, they didn't know how to get out of it, you know? So it really just depends on you need to learn how to read those people's personalities before you get into that situation. And that's where, you know, yes, two days ago, that's, or three days ago, that's where I felt. When I walked up, I could feel the sickness, and I just knew, you know what, I need to take this with a grain of salt and just get the horse out of the situation. You know, it's amazing the work you do, and it's it's your perceptions, it's your attitude, it's everything. Um, this is why I'm so, you know, proud of you and happy to have you on the show, that you're able to do these things and recognize it and take this to to such a, a much deeper level because, you know, most of the world goes about life with blinders on. You know, they, they get yeah. up, they go to work, they come home, they have dinner, they go to sleep, they, you know, they watch the same shows and this rut. And there's this entire world out there of people 
good people, bad people, good people doing bad things, you know, uh, bad people that maybe can, you know, hopefully recover. Um, but there's, there's a journey and there's this amazing other world. There's the world outside. There's a world of horses. There's a world of fresh air and camping. There's a world of trails and exploration. This is your world. You know, my world that I, I like to share and I want to get back into it is, is flying. You know, I was I, I taught flying to people that, you know, never would have been able, I think, with, with like regular instructors teaching the rope, that's right, you know, method. Because uh, I actually work with people. But there, there's so much. And I don't think this, you can really learn this. You either have it or you don't. You, you know, you can talk to folks or you can't. And you, you're either intuitive, you know, empathic or you're, you know, what's what the choice is, empathic, sociopathic or, uh, you know, something else. But uh you're, you're doing the right thing, I guess is what I'm saying here. Um, but it's fascinating. Do you see that in yourself, though, that you've always had this ability to talk to people, to see things, to uh, resolve conflicts, you know, like elementary school, you know, you're six years old, and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> there's another way here, folks, you know, rather than fighting it out. or something. Has that always been with you? It has. Um, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm always sweet and nice. Again, it really just depends on the people. But I wouldn't go that far. Remember, <laughs> yeah, as far as, um, you know, uh, for example, I think I was probably only eight or nine, and um, we were in St. Augustine, actually, at a McDonald's, and I'm, I remember my mom, and I'm the same way. I've, we've always, and I think that's just every woman, you know, we always, our self-love for ourselves, for our self-image is just not there, you know. I'm not confident in my body. My mom's not confident in her body. Um, and so, anyway, she had wore this outfit. We were at McDonald's, and it was an outfit that my mom, had, it wasn't her, but she wanted to adventure out, you know, and it looked great. And I remember at that age just intuitively hearing two other women that were, I don't know, probably in their early 20s, mid-30s, kind of in that range as far as I can remember, giggling and laughing and I knew in that instant that they were giggling and laughing at my mom and I remember walking up to the table and just being like you know that's really not nice of you to do you don't know this person why why is this the topic of your conversation and my mom and dad were stunned that I literally got up (laughs) you know and did that but I still did it in a nice way you know I didn't cuss them out or anything like Mm -hmm. that you know I just wanted to know why like why are you judging somebody you don't know so yeah. I think intuitively I've always been an observer and I've always processed before I said things. And I think that's why even as a hospital or a practice manager for a veterinarian clinic, I was good at it because I pay with all these personalities. You know, I can deal with the emotional portion of, of things and I try to process it and I try to put myself in their shoes for that moment and see what's the best advice that I can give them at that time. And, you know, and I, I'm okay with putting myself in uncomfortable situations, such as possibly being met with a shotgun barrel, which I'm oh, yeah, very thankful yeah. about the possibility yeah. that, that that happened that day. But, you know, walking up, it was like, yep, this is, this is where it can get really bad. So how am I going to process this when somebody opens the door, you know? So I, I think it's always been in me even as a little girl. Yeah. And you're going to do it anyway. You're going to feel uncomfortable, but you, there's something drives you. You just know you're going to do it. Uh, see, I'm just the opposite. I don't think about what I say. Uh, it just comes out, which, <laughs> which, may, you know, which may or may not be a, a virtue on a talk show, but it's really great. You're going to give really thoughtful answers. I'm just going to blurt out whatever question pops into my head. Uh, so that's, this, is why we, this is why we work well together. Um, so, so tell me, what's, uh, did you have a topic in mind? Is something that you had all prepared for us, or are we kind of spontaneous today? Yeah, 
I like the spontaneous part of it. I mean, I did. I am glad that we got to talk a little bit about Indy and the rescuing situation because I do think people aren't so aware of it. I mean, I it, and it was cool to know just within the three days that I had her, um, mm-hmm. the people that rode with me yesterday, they were like, we've been following you and we want to know all about it. But you know what? When people come out to me, I do give them the stories of my horses because the majority mm-hmm. of my horses that I have on this business came because they were lost or they were starving or they were abused. And, you know, like I told the girls that rode with me yesterday, you know, it's all about healing. It's about watching them get a second chance. And these horses could have been thrown away because of the situations. Like they were either left for dead or they were so emotionally broken that you couldn't even touch them. So to get them to the point where they couldn't be touched, to now I'm they're trusting anybody that I put on them, which – you know, I have had some people that I've had to turn away throughout the years because they were too aggressive or they came to me and just were disrespectful. And I was like, you're not being around. I'm not allowing you around my horses because mm-hmm. you can't be respectful to me. I'm not putting my horses through that. So there has been unfortunate moments like that. But for the most part, you know, it, the this will be probably the first time that I have so many followers on my page that I'm going to really document the process with her. Um, Mm -hmm. From, for instance, yesterday, um, Lexi, who's not going to join us today. um, Oh, too bad. Lexi was like, oh, I broke because she's so willing with you. And I said, no, no, she's grateful. And emotionally, she's so checked out right now. I can tell she's not broken. I can tell she's not trained she's willing, you know, there's a difference. So yesterday was the first day that, you know, we came out here, I fly sprayed her, I groomed her and I started really messing with her. And she gave me a couple of moments where she like kicked out and she wanted to bite at me. And it shocked said, well, you know, this, this is part of it. You know, I don't want you to ever get so comfortable with a horse just because it's so willing that you're not in tune with it, you know, so, and same thing with the trailering. She's like, oh, well, she trailered great. The first day, she was pretty willing to get in there with you. And I said, yeah, well, I, you know, the curiosity took the best ever, and I knew that I only had a limited amount of minutes to get her in that trailer the first go around. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, I did what I had to do when we got her out to load her to the vet, you know, was when she really was like, mm, I don't know about that dark box anymore, you know. So, she was. <laughs> Starting to kind of show her true colors. So I, throughout the process, she's going to give me that. And so my goal is to come out and document it and have people videotape me. Hey, this is what we're going to do today. And um, a lot of the regular people has already came out just to the barn to say hey to her. And I'm very cautious about it, but I want to introduce this horse to these people because I want this horse to feel that love. And I want this horse to be exposed so many things so just because she's in bad health doesn't mean i'm going to go out there and not expose her to things or emotionally Mm -hmm. be like oh i can't do this today because she is skinny no you know i'm gonna put her right into the process you're gonna get fly sprayed you're gonna get your blanket on i'm gonna come out and groom you i'm gonna be involved with you you're not just gonna be sitting in a pasture wondering when your next meal is going to be and when the next water is going to be you know, I'm going to come out and interact with you. So that's where she's in that, like, mm, I don't know if I like all this interaction just yet. <laughs> um, so, and it, it, it's funny because going through all the horses that I've trained, I actually like when they haven't had a lot of human contact as far as the training goes because it's a oh. blank slate for me. You know, I can Yeah, you don't have to unteach, the, unteach bad habits. And, yeah, okay, makes sense. To, unteach when 
you know, when she first tried to bite at me, I can correct it that first time in a specific way, and normally right. they won't attempt to do it again. Um, and same huh. thing with the trailer. You know, I told Lexi, I said, this is how you got to put pressure on her back end, so you need to do it specifically how I asked, because if we allow her to pull me or we allow her to kick out, it's going to be harder for us to unteach it when we can specifically ask her now. And then, like, for instance, coming back from the vet, it was so much easier to get her loaded. We didn't even have to, like, tap her with our training stick or anything like that. She's seen training that stick? <laughs> What's a training stick? Training stick. stick. So training, training stick, stick is basically an extension of your arm. So instead of coming okay. and tapping her with your arm and possibly getting kicked, it's just an extension of your arm. Um, so there's different kinds. You have your lunge whips, you have your training sticks, you have your sticks mm-hmm. with your flags. And either any of those can be used. Um, I keep a training stick in the back of my horse trailer just for that pressure release in case I have a horse that needs that extension. Um, and basically you either wave it behind them or you tap on their rear end. And how that pressure works is we're going to start with waving in the back. If you don't respond to some or something waving in the back, then we're going to come mm-hmm. to your back end. We're going to tap. We're going to start with a soft tap. It's basically asking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to move. And then gradually you're going to get more repetitive with that tap and you're going to apply a little more pressure with that tap. Once that horse moves forward or moves in the direction that you're asking, you release that pressure. And that's when normally the horse understands, hey, okay, well, when I move forward, that release comes with it. You know, if I if I move backwards or if I don't move at all, I get that annoying tapping or I get that annoying pressure on the back end that I don't like. So that's it's kind of a mind game when it comes to horses. You really have to think before them, and that release of pressure is is really crucial in that moment on when you do it. You have a three to five second window, so teaching Lexi and the horse at the same time, you know, I have to be really um, emotionally attached to what's going on behind that horse and how that horse is reacting all at the same time so I can make sure that that's going on together. Because it is really hard to get a horse in a trailer by yourself the first go around because I can't be in the back end and the front end at the same time. Yeah, you really have to train people and horses. It's it's a dual training process. <clears throat> You're not, uh, yes. you know, you can't. The, the horses are they're not separate. In other words, you don't train the horses separately to accept theirs. You don't train the people separately to ride horses. It's a it's a dual thing. And yeah, and you talked about matching me up with a horse, but you really have to match people up. They almost have to. So you have to match up like personalities, or at least compatible right. personalities. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always remember there was something I heard from uh, when they were talking about the Barman Bailey Circus, which is not a great example of animal care, shall we say? Um, but uh, they asked mm-hmm. the, uh, the the trainers what was uh, you know the most dangerous animals? Is it the lions or the tigers? And you know are the hardest to work with? No, it's the horses. And why the horses? So are they just bad? <laughs> the circus people? Uh, do they not read the horses? Are horses somehow different than lions and tigers that uh, you know we need to know about, or they just think they're just nice little animals to ride, and they have a personality too? What what is it about horses? What's, uh, why would they have said something like that? Do you think? I mean, it, it's definitely because they can pick up habits so quickly. Um, huh. An example: yesterday, you know, I was telling one of the girls that was on him, I said, you know, every time somebody gets on a horse or every interaction 
with a horse, it is training. Um, it's a communication. So that communication can either go badly or it can go good. And you really have to understand the body language of a horse. And that's mm-hmm. why there's not a lot of people. You can't go knock on somebody's barn door and say, hey, can I ride your horse? Because especially people that <laughs> have these Hey, can I drive your Ferrari? No. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And even my personal horses, I have a few that I don't let anybody else ride unless I really, really know that they understand that body language just because I do not want my horse to pick up a bad interaction. And then when I get on it, it has learned a behavior just that quick that now okay. I'm having to stand 15 minutes or, you know, 30 minutes or however long it takes to reinitiate. hey, that is not the behavior that I accept um, mm-hmm. So it's really that communication piece, and I think, I think that's probably why I, I don't want to say that they're they're hard to train because it just has came natural to me, and I've picked that up. But I can see others who are coming into this journey with me that it's not as easy for them to pick that up. So it's it just really I think you have to have that touch with them, um, and that's why so many of them have to go into training but and to me it's hard to train a horse because it is a piece where you have to train the person and the horse because I can get on this horse and I can ride it all day long mm-hmm. and I can make it do I have that communication to make it do it but if that owner does not understand that then that horse will result back into it so that's why a lot of trainers get bad names is because if that owner is not out there understanding exactly what we're doing with these horses, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder. So it might work for a couple rides, um, but once that horse picks up, hey, well, this lady's going to let me eat or this lady is not going to release that pressure when I need it to, I can get away with walking faster or I can get away with, you know, pretty much anything, you know, so it's a, it, it's definitely that consistent communication and that consistent reading of the horse and knowing when to apply the pressure and when to release the pressure. So my job is not super easy, and a lot of times when I have riders out, of course I keep it in a safe situation, but if I have another trail guide with me, a lot of times I'll bring my green horses out or my horses that need that work, and I explain it to them. Hey, guys, you know, I have two trail guides today. I'm going to stay in the back, but you're going to get to see some opportunity of training while y'all are on these rides, because I I think some people are oblivious. They just think, oh, well, you know, you can saddle a horse up, go in the woods. That is absolutely not the case. There is so yeah. much training that goes into it and so much exposure. I mean, I had one horse that an acorn fell behind it, and that horse took off down the road. You know, so, so there is still imaginary bunny rabbits that we call. So you'll hear that language um, in the horse world, you know, because <laughs> it, it's just one of those um, you yeah, teach a horse to go to the thinking side of its brain versus the reactive side of the brain. So the oh. acorn falling caused that horse to react versus to think so there's a lot of times that if my horse is going to spook at something I read it before and then I walk him through it and I expose him to that you know I'll walk him right up to that big scary bush but I want you to walk up nice and calmly and I'm going to walk through that with you and then when you get up there and you start licking and you start chewing and you realize it's okay and the curiosity stays open I'm going to reward you for it and I'm going to pat you or I'll give you a treat or whatever um, and I see a lot of people when their horse spooks, they get mad and they get angry and they 
you know, push the horse past it or they get nervous because they're like, oh, my horse is going to be so reactive to it. So then they become reactive because the horse just goes off of you naturally. Whereas if you learn to comfortably put that horse in an uncomfortable situation and work through it together and Mm -hmm. become that confident, you know, the curiosity is is amazing to watch in a horse. I have my Mustang Red who is so smart and he has got so much curiosity. I mean, that horse from the the first thing I exposed him to was this big giant, it's almost like your yoga balls, but it, we call them soccer balls for horses. And I actually taught him how to play soccer and push that ball back to me. So I made this big object that was scary at first become a game, you know, and I kept that horse's curiosity open. And um, even with tarps, pull it off of him. You put the tarp on my round pin panel and everywhere my hand goes, that horse will take his mouth and pull that tart back down. He's he's a stinker, that's for sure. I I, well, I did not know how smart he was going to be. He actually will undo my gate latches, and it, he he's an observer. He's learned to stay curious with me. So everything I do, he's like, oh, I got to do it, you know. This is the Mustang? <laughs> yeah, this is my Mustang, Mustang Red. So Red is it because it's and... a – was it a wild horse uh, at first? He was. was it a real Mustang exactly from the – Uh, yeah, he was rounded up from the BLM. So how they round those horses up is normally by a helicopter, and they push right. these horses like, into the roundup. And then a lot of times they go to holding facilities or they, you know, get shipped to different auctions um, or the BLM sets it up, and it's literally just an auction for the BLM Mustangs that they round up or that has been in the holding facilities. So he was actually not one that was born in captivity. He was born out in the wild. I got pictures of him being rounded up with his herd um, at a very young age. He was a yearling when I got him. So I I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think that he was young when I got him, and I taught him how to keep that curiosity open, and that's just his personality. Not every horse is like that. There is flighty horses that you do have to spend a lot more time getting that curiosity door open and not so much that reactive side. Um and it just really depends on the personality. Same with us. You know, there's always going to be people that are more reactive, whereas there's people like me who, you know, the world is falling, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, let me process this for a minute before I get myself out of danger, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty – well, it's interesting. If you've ever been tested in a crisis, uh, Pianchi's still in line. I'm sure he has been. I have been. I faced uh, a few emergencies in the air. You know, I've had an engine go out on me. I've had gear that wouldn't drop. We had to kind of work that a little bit. I've had, I've lost instruments in the clouds. I've lost radios in the clouds. These are all, you know, potentially life-endangering uh, situations. Uh, I'm still here, you know, calm, cool. You know, you do what you need to do. You, do, you, you go back to your training, as Yoda would say, you know. And so you just follow through with, with, uh, with what works. But keeping a cool head uh, is such an important thing for almost everything we do. So in other words, uh, as I was talking with the self-defense folks, you know, uh, Scott and Nikita, you know, self-defense is a metaphor for life. Riding horses is a metaphor for life, flying airplanes, you know, shooting guns, sailing boats. All these things are, they're, they're all in many ways related. There's a philosophy to it. Uh, but the difference with the horse is you've got a living thing <laughs> as opposed to an airplane, which you hope follows the, the, the mechanical commands and things are supposed to work. But of course they don't always, but with a horse, 
um, they they have a sense of humor, don't they? I mean, they 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 amuse themselves at your expense. They uh, they can be pretty uh, uh, and, and they can get bored. And when they get bored, probably the most dangerous, right? Uh, or I don't know. I'm just I'm just guessing. But tell me about personalities with some of these animals. <laughs> well, I mean, for instance, um, this will be a good one for you. Um, okay. You know, as far as personalities go, and I'm sure if there's other horse people listening. Um, well, well, we hope so. You did tell everybody, right? You're on. You told everybody you're on the show today, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So Just one check. But I think right. the the funniest <laughs> one that I've been involved with is uh, when your own horse farts while you're on them. <laughs> oh, already a little you, this, Didn't we talk about this off the air? It sounds like I, I think we mentioned this. All right, let's talk about horse farts. <laughs> and now, Candace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, with um, the inside story so on horse that, farts that on Action Radio. I, uh, <laughs> I've been in the pasture, and, I mean, they're going to town, and they're farting, and they start fucking. But what's the, the most funniest is when you're on them, and they fart, and they scare themselves. Um, and most horses, you know, I have Sonny, who I call it his booster jets. When he farts, it's with every step. But you have <laughs> horses kind of that, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's always the character. He gets the most laughs when I'm like, okay, well, this is my horse that likes to eat the most and fart the most. And most, most people are like, oh, that's me. I want that horse. You know? so <laughs> oh, oh they request the, 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 the farting the horse? Okay, that's conversational uh, pieces right yeah, at the I'm... end of my ride. But, uh, but my other time. How, how do you when, introduce that at a, at a cocktail party? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was riding the horse today with the greatest farts. It was, it was really incredible. It was a, it was a bonding <laughs> experience. I mean, how do you bring that out in a conversation? I, I just call me crazy, but I, I wonder things like that. Could only imagine how many conversational pieces of Sunny that goes with mm. these people because he farts. Sunny, the that's the name. So it's not Thunderjet. Sunny, <laughs> um, Sunny is his good. name, and Booster okay. Jets or Thunder Jets is what he oh, goes Booster off of. So like, oh, okay. It's good gotcha. laughter for for people on the trail, but then you have your others who they fart and it scares them so bad that they buck, and then it just becomes a domino effect. So. um I was riding the other day, and that's just what happened to me. You know, I, I could tell she's a five-year-old thoroughbred. The thoroughbreds are kind of known to be a little bit on the more reactive side than not. You know, they're just a hotter breed, and, and a lot of things just scare them differently. But I've had I've had it happen to quarter horses, too, where I'm on them, and we're in that, um, you know, I'm in that training mode, and they're already reactive because they're green, and they haven't had a lot of people on them. So what happens is they they fart and it scares them and then they forget that there's somebody on them which in the wild their most um area where they're scared at is on their back because you think of it where they're going to get attacked is more likely to be on their back or coming from mm-hmm. the back side so they're already naturally reactive having somebody on their back just makes it worse but uh so we're we're riding the other day in the arena, and I made three laps, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, she's doing great. You know, I, I know she's reactive right now. She's already nervous. We made three laps. I got her into a trot, and she farted, and that was all it took, and we went right into a buck, you know. And then, you know, the first buck went because she farted and it scared her, and then the second buck was because the back cinch tightened on the first buck. And then, so here we are in the second buck because she said, oh, my God, what's on my back? What's tightening up? People that don't know, it's, you know, you got your girth that wraps around for your saddle in the front. A lot of people that's use the back That's the big belt, right? Yep, yeah, that's saddle. The, okay. Yeah, so yeah. your 
you know, you have different saddle types. You got your western, your there's more than three, but your main three that you see in our area is your western, your English, and your Australian. Um, Australian's more so used for people that are on gated horses or that are trail riding. I personally like my western because again, it's great for trail riding or for any of your western shows. And then you got your English, which does not have a back cinch, um, and it's more of a close contact saddle. And you don't have a horn or anything. So what I'm particularly riding in is a western saddle, and I do use the back cinch because it keeps the back saddle from flopping up or back side of the saddle from flopping up. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we use that back cinch too when we're in the mountains to keep that saddle in that specific spot. So anyways, we're, you know, we're mid-bucking. Back cinch (laughs) tightens up because she tightens up her back end and then and then here comes Traveler, my dog, who's with me every step of the way, jingling with his collar through the mid buck. So it was just a domino effect. The fart started it, the back cinch helped it, and then the jingling of Traveler's collar um <laughs> ended in a couple more bucks. So it's uh, quite hysterical and it caught me off guard, you know, so I'm having to process it in the moment, but that's always the funnest, right? Your adrenaline goes up and you're Oh like, yeah, yeah, especially what's I'm happening and then things slow down too. Or I'm not Did you get thrown right, off? So. Did you get I'm sorry, no, what did you say? No, I stuck with it and that is the first time I've ever been called Rodeo Queen. <laughs> the wow. Girl that was uh was uh, taking camera shots forgot to continue because she was like I was just so amazed that you stuck with that ride so she's like I'm going to call you Rodeo Queen so that's my nickname in the arena now so, Oh interesting okay. um, and it was me doing lessons and it was nice for them to see just how quick you know a calm situation can go come into a, a not so calm situation so I was like well you always got to be careful with those farts because it might send you in the air. <laughs> but, um, but I stuck with it, and uh, she's a pretty big girl. She's about 1,200 pounds and uh, right at 16 two hands, so she's not your average size horse. She's a big horse. So I was actually surprised that I stuck with it in the treeless saddle that I had. How, how, did, you, how um, did you hang on? Is it just leg strength or, or hang on the reins or grab the saddle, or what would you do? I'm just curious. No, it's grab the saddle so when a horse really goes into a full buck first thing you want to try to do when you can is pull that head up so after the second buck when I realized oh okay we're going to go for a couple more rounds I need to get her head up because once that head is up they can't really extend that back in the way that um, they do and I keep my heels down and really you got to plant that butt in the saddle so I think it I mean it's a little bit of everything you know you really got to be aware of your body how you're landing, I mean, and if your feet's on properly and you're sitting the right way, and, and sometimes you're going to get thrown off because you just don't expect it. Like for Dandy, Dandy was the quarter horse that I took in for training, and he was known to buck. So first day I put him in for training, I told my dad, I said, I need you out here at this round pen because I know this horse is going to buck. And yeah. that first day, me at all. So I said, okay. So the second day I asked Daddy, I said, Dad, can you come out and watch? Because I, I know this horse is going to buck, and I don't know if I'm going to sit it. So can you come out mm-hmm. and watch it? So they, mm-hmm. Same thing. Went out there, didn't have one buck in it. And I'm I'm happy. You know, I'm like, man, this, this is going to go good. I, I think I got this horse tuned real well. So third day come out, do the same thing, got him in the arena and um, or the round pin at the time. What's and the arena? The owner. Is it like a training, the, a circular training thing? Yeah, it's just a little training ring. It's 
Um, okay. It's pretty Sounds much like gladiator, the way your... you say it. Yeah. <laughs> and the gladiators enter the arena, and the horses and, and, the, and the chariots. And, you know, I, just, I get this visual yeah. in my head. No, no I mean, I wish I had a fancy arena like that for my horses, but it's normally just a fenced-in area. That's mm-hmm. typically about a 180 by 200, sometimes a little bigger. And your round pin is about a 60-foot in diameter uh, ring. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's big enough you can get the horse into a canter or really move that horse out, but it's not big enough that if it goes to bucking the whole section, you ain't got 180 feet of, of movement. You, you got them in a circle. So a lot of times it's just a little bit more of a controlled area. Um, but third huh. day comes out – comes out and I said I think I got him trained real good I said you can train him right off your leg you ain't even got to use the spurs he's going to go right into the trot for you so she said okay we'll get on him I want to see him so I get on him expecting hey he ain't bucked since two days that I've been on him surely he's not going to buck today um get on him we get first lap I mean we were I didn't even have to squeeze him. I kissed at him, and he went to a trot, and what happened was he farted. And when that fart came, the bucking came, and he launched me right over his head after the third buck. Probably one of the hardest times I've been thrown. So um, always got to watch for those horse farts because, uh, (laughs) you know, that can really – it can really activate their back end. (laughs) You know, of all the conversations that I thought I was going to have today, this isn't the one. (laughs) (laughs) But, but this happens a lot. If you listen to my Monday, Monday show, and I'll explain it off the air. I don't want to go through that again. But uh, so we had a topic that we talked about Monday uh, during the, the sex and sensuality report that was nothing. I mean, we, we get pretty open on that report. That one's, that one's pretty, yeah. uh, pretty gutsy as it goes. But uh, where we went is something I never would have expected. But and this, Horse Farts is pretty much up in that same, that same category of what am I doing on my show here? This is fascinating. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Candace. Appreciate the help. Do, do, do horses I, – I have this feeling that uh, – this is probably a rhetorical question, but uh, horses, because they are basically 10 times our, our size and weight, they have to know they're so much stronger than us, and that if they really want to, they can throw us off pretty much any time. Uh, so yeah. do they tolerate us riding them? Is there, do they enjoy it at all? Is there any, has anybody ever really studied this? Uh, because horses – I know the horses are a herd animal. So they like having other horses mm-hmm. around them, <clears throat> but do they like having people around them too? Does that make a difference or, or how, how does the whole so. horse human thing, and this is something you should probably take up next time, but the, the entire horse human, yeah. you know, relationship, let's take the basic one. They tolerate us riding them. And I've, I've always been curious why. Yeah, I think it's just that partnership. So when, I think when most people think of herd, they think of horse to horse, but really right. they are, it, it, it's not. You can have a horse that's herd bound to a goat. You can see I've had them herd bound to my donkeys. I think that they're just a social animal. So you can become part of that herd. So I do think that there's enjoyable, and, and they're not stationary animals. So I think a lot of problems come with horses that get time during the day. Um, and again, we'll save this for the next next time, but like Mine are not stalled, but only to eat. So they get that full aspect of getting to kind of do what they want. They have their whole pasture. They have their hay 24-7 unless we're riding. But I always tell people, you know, I want this to be enjoyable for my horse. I don't want it to be. And there's times that it might not be enjoyable through the training. But for the most part, I try to make it a mutual respect. And I think um, that's where people mess up on is they get on and they think it's a game and they 
start drinking and hoo-hawing around and they forget, hey, this is a mutual respect with my animal and I mm-hmm. need to keep that partner, you know. I, and it's kind of like parenting. There is going to be times that either the horse is going to make put you in an uncomfortable position, like with the horse fart situation, or there's going to be times that you're going to have to put the horse up in that uncomfortable position. So it's that mutual respect. So I do think that they enjoy it. Um, okay. I, I, my guys go out there on the trails and you can tell that's, I mean, my horse, Nakota, I've even had, um, the animal communicator tell me, she's like, man, that horse really loves to climb, climb hills and, and go adventuring with you. And so there is that partnership, but I also have seen horses where you get them out there and they're so nervous and they can't, take in all of that, that they're just meant to be more of a arena horse. So, and we can go in a little bit more in depth about that our next, next week you'd like. Um, but that's, I, of course I, I, would. Most of <laughs> I want to talk about everything. There, there are no yeah. limits to our, our subject material here. So, uh, you know, horses, life exploration, you know, we got martial arts included today. And, uh, so now we got you camping and self-defensing. So that's not bad. Yep. Totally spontaneously. Works for me. Yeah. Works for me too, because I want to do both. You know me; I have to try everything, and then I'll get y'all flying when uh, when Action Radio has a our, our big breakout moment, and I can get my first jet. Then uh, we're all you know I'll yes. take y'all up flying, and we'll do some loops and rolls over the Gulf. And uh, I just got to find the airspace. I got to talk to uh, the FAA controllers, uh, the folks around here on airspace, and see where I can go play with my jet uh, yep. and not have an F thirty five up my butt going. What, what are you doing here? This is our <laughs> area. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Then we'll see who can turn faster. <laughs> see, that's the thing I'd love to do is have like a, like a couple of jets and talk to the military and say, hey, can we can we like uh, do the Top Gun thing? Can we dogfight your F-35s and sneak up on them? And he just like vectors towards them and see if they notice us above them, you know, flying upside down, waving, giving them the finger. I mean, I, I, this is like dream come true time kind of stuff, just to see if they're watching the radar. I don't know. This would be an off-the-air conversation. I'll tell you if I can do it because the military would not want this released. But I would love to uh, do some simulated dogfights in our little uh, Viper jets. Just for the fun of it, oh. I think it'd be hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be talking. That's that's my idea of a good time. Yeah. All right, let's. Uh, we should go for this week. Uh, apparently, there was some trouble with the chat. Uh, our our resident uh, listener in uh, the Netherlands, Cyanide seventy seven. Uh, apparently, he couldn't hear it, so I guess he's going to catch this show on podcast. But uh, he regularly types in. So we're international. Uh, you never know who's listening. It could be, uh, you know, Armenia. Uh, it could be in Thailand. It could be uh, uh, New Zealand. Actually, we have listeners in, believe it or not, New Caledonia and the Solomon Islands. I mean, this show reaches. Oh, wow. We have um, We're in Cuba. You know, we're most of South America, most of Europe. Uh, not in Ukraine for some reason. Don't ask me why. Uh, Taiwan can't understand that either. China probably blocks us there. But uh, a fair portion of Africa and uh, certainly most of Asia. Uh, so yeah, so people are picking this up all over the place. It's great. So we'll start to bring in those international horse folks. Hopefully we can get them uh, typing in, and then you can follow up with them afterwards, and we'll get some international uh, horse guests. And of course, I got to get the Skype line going. There's a little trouble with that right now. So anyway, anything going on for this week? Uh, any announcements you want to make? Let's get contact information for uh, uh, Believe the Journey Horse uh, Services. I think is the title. I'll memorize it at some point. Yep. Anything you want to just yep. uh, close up with? And thank you for for having time this week. I do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It worked out because it's supposed to be thunderstorming. So I got to move some horse rides around. And um, Mm -hmm. it is peak season here at Believe the Journey Horse Services. So um, a reminder that I will not be doing trail rides and unlimited lessons when it comes to um, the summertime. So if people want to ride, they need to get in with me. I am located in Milton, Florida. And again, that is Believe the Journey Horse Services. You can find me on Google. You can find me on Facebook. You can follow me on TikTok or Instagram through Cowgirl Candace. 
Um, please, please follow as far as the rescue horse Indy goes or Indy go. Um, so that way y'all can kind of get a glimpse daily routine when it comes to these rescues and these situations. So again, we're going to document that. She'll be the first one that we document from, you know, from starting of the starvation case through her rehab process as well as her training process goes. So you'll really get the full in-depth because I, I'm not going to keep anything behind the scenes. It's all going to be on the air. So if y'all are interested in seeing how that process goes and uh, seeing me possibly get bucked when the horse farts come along with her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. I can't wait for that part. So, no, that'll be a little ways before I get on yeah. it. But, uh, I mean, as simple as just going out there and interacting with her to kind of see that herd mentality and see that personality change and how I'm correcting those negative behaviors and turning it into positive, rewarding behaviors. So um, if any of that interests you, that will be on Believe the Journey, and it will also be on my personal page. So um, my phone number, contact information, if you all want to reach out and if you all have any questions or if you want to book a ride, all rides are by reservation. That's going to be 850-293-9261. And, again, it's Believe the Journey Horse Services. Okay. Are you, do you have a YouTube channel? Because I think people would love to uh, to see. And you might even be able to monetize this and help the uh, uh, help your, yeah, your horse uh, I, services. You need a YouTube channel. Yeah. I need a YouTube channel, so I will be working on that. And I also am in the process of trying to trademark Believe the Journey. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know. I knew all of that. So I will hopefully in the by fall is my goal. Um, we'll have a merchandise store online so they can purchase merch from me um, with Believe the Journey. Wow. Busy person. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, we got some. I tried some yeah. action radio stuff. We had some T-shirts and things like that. I need another person to help me with that because the show, you know, mm-hmm. takes up uh, so much time, and, and it's supposed to. That's the whole idea. Okay, yep. thank you. Let's uh, let's uh, get going here. Have a wonderful week, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you during the week. But uh, until next week, and if you can make it great, if you're busy because it's peak season, just let me know, and we'll figure yep. we'll figure out something. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely Thanks, Candace. Greg. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have the same beautiful week and i'm sure we'll talk before then but if not we will talk on friday sounds good all right thank you guys have fun thank you. see you later mm, bye-bye all right goodbye now so yeah this is uh I, i'm always amazed at the people that come to the show uh, for for however they find you know we find each other you know i have two new folks from today uh, nikita and scott from uh, yingling self-defense i'm sure we're going to have them back on they're both great guests candace our, our, our newest uh, superstar reporter is just a joy to talk to um all the folks that come here it's just and people a lot of times they stay for a while and then something comes up and you know they have to leave and move on so as long as they have time to uh, to do the show uh, i really appreciate it and so hopefully these will be, you know, just, just gems of recording one day when we're all, you know, fabulously well-known worldwide, which I think we're heading for. It's just a question of time at this point. All right, I'm done for this week. Next week, I have no idea. Uh, there's so many things happening in the banking world and uh, the political world. It's going to keep us busy for a long time. And our legislation, too. That's, that's, I need to concentrate more on, on some of the bills and getting some of the bill writers on the air. Uh, again, the, the, the news events have been sort of dominating so much of what we've been doing. But uh, I'll get to that. Anyway, happy St. Patty's Day, or should I say happy St. Patrick's Day. So have a wonderful time. Get your corned beef, get your cabbage, have a Guinness on me, and have a wonderful time. And we'll see you all Monday. So the websites are 
blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. WriteYourLaws.com, where we do our bills. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, WriteYourLaws.com. I'm on Substack at gregpenglis.substack.com. In fact, I have an article. I'm, I'm pretty much finished up. I'll publish that shortly after the show. And to contribute, givesendgo.com slash action radio. If you missed it, just rewind the podcast. Anyway, I haven't played any of my announcements, so we'll start those now and then have our musical selection at the end. And I will see you all Monday morning. Well, actually, you will hear me Monday morning, 7 a.m. Central Time, uh, which is now Daylight Saving. And we'll talk to you then. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy.
from addiction to achievement. That is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website right your laws so you can get your energy drink a 20% discount and help action radio change the relationship of we the people to our government not bad strike force is at strikeforceenergy.com that's strikeforceenergy.com start your engine Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Action Radio. 